Hello and welcome into the Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Rue of Big Ten Network, and today's guests are Joshua Perry and Kenny Bell of Big Ten Network, and Harold Shelton in the research department at Big Ten Network. Let's get into it. Take a look, listen, and enjoy. Look at here, look at here. With the catch, the finish! Oh my goodness, what a catch! Oh Energy, my goodness. All right, like I said off the top, we will start the show, an extended show today with Joshua Perry and Kenny Bell, two of my close colleagues and two guys who are uh, wrapping up their first football season working together at Big Ten Network. Joshua just wrapped up his second season overall at the network. And this episode, just to give you a little bit of a preview, is going to be more uh, reflective than most, um, being the end of 2020. We're going to look back on kind of the year that was uh, and how it ties into our, in Kenny and Joshua's terms, um, into our professional careers and, and give you a little behind the scenes look at what they do for the network and how it kind of blends with their day-to-day lives as former star athletes at their Big Ten schools. So a little bit of a different episode, but Joshua and Kenny are uh, two of the best and, and two of the most entertaining guys. So figured to get them on to just kind of peel back the curtain a little bit. So we'll get right into it. It's Joshua Perry and Kenny Bell. All right, I'm very pleased to be rejoined on the show by two recurring guests, but they are joining together for the first time on the Take 10 podcast, Joshua Perry, Kenny Bell. Fellas, how you doing? And for the fans out there listening, you know, who aren't maybe privy to your personal details, where you guys posted up since retiring from football, JP? Go first with your professor, professional uh, mic setup and <laughs> no, I uh, appreciate you having me back on. Uh, Columbus, Ohio, man. I'm a Buckeye through and through. Grew up in the city. Obviously played ball here. Went away for a little bit, but I'm back. Uh, really enjoying what I'm doing here in the media space. Also selling real estate uh, in Columbus. But generally just enjoying myself, trying to stay up on all the latest and greatest of what's going on in the world. KB? Yeah, uh <laughs> thanks for uh thanks for having me on the show for the first time i'm i'm excited especially to be here with jp the the man himself uh <laughs> yeah i'm uh, i'm back home in colorado i'm living in denver i've got a lot going on right now i'm working for a company called ncr uh, i'm selling point of sales like merchant service and reg- restaurants uh obviously i lucked out and signed my contract with btn and i'm really blessed to be you know doing shows with jp and hosting the fro show and then I actually just started a new job this week um, with a company called One Tech, and I'll be a reseller for data security in Denver. And then like little minor stuff, you know, I invested in my own gaming studio. I had a little streaming career going on for a little bit before I got too busy. I'm trying to keep, trying to stay busy during a uh, crazy year. Yeah, well, congrats on that. I know you guys both keep those portfolios diverse, you know, those <laughs> multiple income streams, stacking bread. So uh, you know, we love to see it. And I kind of wanted to bring you guys on, you know, at the end of the year here at the end of football season to pull back the curtain a little bit for fans on what it's like to work in sports media. Joshua and I have talked about this term that came up uh, called like emerging talent, you know, buzzwordy, but I uh, just kind of talk about what it's like as still relatively recent 
grads of your schools and, uh, you know, recent retirees from football and uh, what it's like to break into media and beyond all those kind of buzzwords, you know, kind of show the audience a, a slice of the same discussions that we tend to have in these group texts that are popping off throughout the season, you know, when we're planning our content. So, you know, real quick, I just want to start maybe KB with you um, since you got into the media game uh, on just your personal thoughts on the professional strides you took in 2020, just in, in sports media, you know, a year ago, none of this on the sports side was really a thing for you, but you, you had all your other uh, pursuits like, like your Twitch and you mentioned the gaming studio and all that. So just kind of reflect if you could on, on what this year has brought despite kind of all of its challenges. Yeah. I mean, honestly, this year was more, much more of a blessing than a burden for me personally. And I'm very thankful for that. Obviously um, it was really tough uh, with the pandemic and everything going on, but I was blessed enough, you know, my family's healthy. I've got, uh, multiple jobs that I'm really thankful for, but in terms of the transition in terms or with sports media, I really think I dodged a bullet in terms of like having to pay my dues, like JP, you know, JP's driving to Chicago. He's in the studio every weekend. (laughs) And like, those are great opportunities, but that's a lot of work for me. You know, I film three or four shows a week from my own place and I'm doing what I love. I get to talk about big 10 football. I get to, uh, hang out and chat with, uh, JP. So, I mean, it's all been sunshine and rainbows in terms of the sports media side for me. Uh, the very first few weeks I was incredibly nervous. You know, I like <laughs> I'm thinking back to my, uh, the fantasy picks JP that first week, bro. <laughs> when I was in uh, Kansas, I mean, I sweated through my suit and it was like, we were on for like 15, 20 minutes, but I was nervous, man. So, um, the professional strides have been great. I think I've hit and, I've hit a little bit more of a flow, gotten a little bit more comfortable, but I've had a great team to work with and a great uh, co-host there in JP. So, yeah, Joshua, we really, you know, ramped your digital game up this year. You had already been doing the media game. Like you, you behind the mic were natural always on TV or on radio, but uh, we kind of got your feet wet, the beak wet last year with some digital (laughs) stuff. Now that we got a space to shoot in um, at our big 10 network studio, we, had you filming a good chunk of our digital football content, plus the shows that we have done with you and uh, Kenny, which we'll get into in just a second. So what's it been like for you now to, you know, even have kind of a more wide ranging skill set, and also I'm sure take on some more responsibility because you've launched like a media empire out in Columbus as well. I wouldn't call it an empire quite yet, but I'm, I'm definitely working on that. Uh, but it's been good. I mean, wrapping up year two over here at BTN and, Again, I'm blessed and thankful. And, you know, Kenny, it's it's not even the fact that I've necessarily had to pay my dues. I've, you know, kind of been blessed in the way I got into the media game, did some local stuff for a year in Columbus before I got on with BTN. Um, but it's been fantastic. And I get to work with wonderful people um, and we, we get to do pretty cool stuff. Like the thing I really enjoy is just covering the football that I watched growing up. Like I said, I grew up here in the Midwest. So all of the rivalry games that we watch here in the Big Ten, all the teams that I get to cover here are very familiar. Um, So that's really, really cool. And, you know, I've got some other things going on now, too. I think that my experience at BTN has definitely uh, forced me out of my comfort zone to a certain degree and allowed me to spread my wings and grow as a broadcaster. So like you said, I've got my own podcast that I do, which is going pretty well. I've got some other media ventures I'm working on right now. Um, that'll be coming up here pretty soon. And I think it's going to be some pretty cool stuff. Actually, a lot of uh, overlap with our fan base here at BTN. But it's just been a blessing. And Kenny, you said it, man, working with you was a daggone blast. Uh, I got to have a lot of fun. And, you know, like we're we're 
two young guys, basically, you know, and so we we just had to hit it off like that and got to bring a new little flavor. And Alex, to your point, that's why I really enjoy doing the digital is because I get to be 26 and I get to talk like a 26 year old when I'm doing that. Uh, it's a ton of fun, but it's also opened up the opportunities like presenting that scholarship on behalf of the College Football Playoff Foundation and Dr. Pepper and the Big Ten. Like that was some really cool stuff, too. So it's just overall been a blessing. And Kenny, you said it. This year is strange. It's definitely different. And I know a lot of people have had some ups and downs, but um, through it all, I've definitely had some really good moments. I've learned a ton. I've got to spend time with a ton of people I definitely care about. And I'm just looking forward to a good 2021. Yeah. And like you said, you and Kenny kind of hit it off right away. Um, you mentioned you're 26. We're the same age, Joshua, and Kenny's a couple of years older. I think Kenny, 28, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it was interesting because we had this concept and this is kind of our main show that we film for YouTube and our social media platforms at Big Ten Network. It's called The Replies. And if you can imagine, it kind of takes off the name there where Joshua and Kenny literally will reply to some social media buzzworthy moments that have happened in the football world. And as things in digital go, especially at Big Ten Network, the the concept kind of came together quickly. We didn't even have a name, I don't think, when we shot the first edition. And we basically, since the pandemic kind of crunched our timelines and budgets as a, as a network, um, we brought Kenny on really quickly after kind of getting his feet wet um, for free, really, uh, in the spring and summer. And we hopped on to film this, this, uh, this concept that we were still kind of hashing out and had them playing and bouncing ideas off each other. And Joshua and Kenny didn't even know each other until really that first episode, and it just kind of clicked, and it worked. So, you know, KB, why do you think that is? And uh, is it just because, you know, you guys are similar in age, or do you think, like, as you guys kind of found out, those life and game experiences, a lot of them aligned, uh, it seemed like, just hearing you guys kind of talk about your your glory days. So why do you think it works so smoothly, KB? Oh, that's a good question. I, and that's funny that you think about like, uh, yeah, JP and I didn't have never had a conversation at all. <laughs> I had like, I know I had, I had known of him. I'm sure he knew of my goofy looking self when I was at uh, Nebraska. You had one of the most legendary hits in, in big 10 conference <laughs> championship game history. So of course I knew about KB. Oh man. But uh, so I didn't know JP and on, he was a Buckeye. So I was a little skeptical if I'm being honest, you know, <laughs> <laughs> nah, but, uh, I think it works because, most importantly, I think we're like-minded individuals and in a year like this with everything that's going on, everything's so polarizing. I think JP's got a great head on his shoulders and he's willing to be reasonable, but he also has his convictions that he stands on. And that's just like me. And I think that comes from our background in the programs with the men that we had um, that were our head coaches, right? You know, at 18 to 22, I had nothing figured out, but I would, I would have told you I had everything figured out. Uh, but I think we both come from programs and backgrounds within football and cultures that made us a certain way um, that we just see eye to eye on a lot of things. And the things that we don't see eye to eye on our background allows us to, you know, confront one another about it and we're not going to get our feelings hurt. So I think those kind of relationships are hard to come by and to develop one like JP and I did in, I mean, it was two weeks where, (laughs) you know, I was telling my girlfriend, you know, how much I was enjoying working with, JP and honestly, the entire digital content crew with you, Brent, 
um, and Joe Sellis, you know, uh, we've got a great, we got a great crew. So when you put good people in the same room, good things happen. And that's exactly what I got with you guys and JP. Yeah. Say I'll piggyback right off of that. And um, I'll say that Kenny is extremely humble. And I think we probably have a lot of similar experiences and like, we haven't dove into all the different details, but like, I bet you that our, our familiar upbringings were probably pretty similar. You know, we both had good college careers and then probably didn't have the career we wanted to in the NFL, didn't play as long as we thought we would. Um, but I think that everything that we've experienced has made us people who are, like you said, reasonable, but I think also humble in the fact that we're willing to do the dirty work and we're willing to put the, the effort it takes into a relationship because um, building friendships are not easy. And it's definitely a lot more difficult when you have never met the person in person physically before. And that was something that we kind of had to get over to like, we could be the best of friends, but like, how is the rhythm and the chemistry going to work when we're doing this digitally over zoom every time and have never met each other in person. But um, I can, I can definitely pat Kenny on the back by saying that he was a guy who was just going to be himself. But, and I, I feel like the same thing with me was going to take the time and be humble enough to learn and, and try to uh, really make it work. Like neither one of us came in with an ego and said, this is going to be our way or the highway. We're like, what's the best way that we can have fun and put out great content. And I think that's what ended up happening. Yeah. I think just to, just to piggyback on what JP said, just cause I he brought up a great point. Uh, JP was one heck of a college linebacker, right? And the man should have been playing on Sundays. I think there's something to be said about guys that are in that situation, right? Had great college careers and things didn't work out in the pros. There's a, I'm not going to go into the numerous reasons why stuff doesn't work out in the NFL. Uh, but what I will say is the guys that, you know, hit that like two, three, four year mark and things just didn't work out. Uh, it wasn't because they weren't good enough. I'd say 99% of the time, it wasn't because they weren't good enough. It was because of, politics let's just say like to keep things simple um and I think there's something to be said about guys that responded to that in the right way and JP is a guy that responded to that in the right way I think of when Emmanuel Acho said um a couple weeks ago somebody like made fun of his NFL career time out how it wasn't very good and he's like if you want to make fun of me for my NFL career you know that's fine but you want to call it a failure that's fine it's the greatest you know failure in my right. life you know I ascended <laughs> to the highest level of that profession possible and then I took that failure if you will and I learned from it and it made me the man who I am today and I think JP shares that kind of mindset and when I when I get around guys like that you know we're, we're gonna get along great absolutely yeah really well said and you guys are in you know selfishly kind of a sweet spot for the network right like Careers were cut short, like you said, but you guys are extremely relevant on social media, um, extremely connected to the game still. So, you know, selfishly, we, we love that you guys were able to jump on board. <laughs> Thank God y'all got fired. <laughs> exactly. I was, I, you know, I was, I was the one tweeting at these teams, like, cut them right now. No, yeah, <laughs> no, but like, Get for, out of here. for real though, it, you know, you guys are unique also in the sense that you have big followings on social media and you guys can connect with an audience. Uh, JP does it on TV, uh, radio and on social media. So is that like a natural thing that you guys have just grown up in this kind of millennial era and kind of just know how to reach social audiences? Ke uh, Kenny, I know you've built up 
you know, your, your Twitch audience. So that hosting presence kind of comes into it. But why do you think the, uh, you know, like you kind of mentioned Joshua with you getting in the digital studio, able to just kind of loosen up a little bit. Why do you think that that comes naturally? Is it something you even think about or, um, is it more of just a, a product of growing up, you know, when we all did, man, I don't even think my, presence in media really has anything to do with my comfort level of growing up near media like and everybody now is a a producer and on-air talent because if you have a cell phone and you can get on twitch or instagram live or periscope or facebook live or whatever it is like you can you can make the content and everybody can do that but i was always a kid in elementary school that they had to sit me in the corner by myself because they would even put me at the table with the shy kids. And I was always talking to people. Mm -hmm. I'm a natural connector. That's why I, outside of this, I do sales. My dad is the same way. He's a natural connector. Um, and so I think just my comfort level with being able to reach people, it doesn't matter what their interests are. It doesn't matter what their background is. I just enjoy people. I think has definitely helped. Um, but the other thing too, for me is I've, I've never been nervous. Like that red light pops on and you know, it's recording. Like some people mouth gets a little bit dry. They start to lose their train of thought. And it's probably a combination of things, but I've, you know, played in front of hundred thousand people live and, and had millions more watching on TV before. Um, and so you just kind of get a little bit of a Teflon personality from that. And so I think it's a, a combination. I know Kenny's very similar just in terms of his ability to connect with people. I like I've crossed paths with people that have met Kenny and I, everybody just always talks about the personality, only good <laughs> things to say. Um, and so I think that's definitely part of it. Like you could, you're comfortable on your own, your own social media, your own channels when you're comfortable with people in general. Now, Kenny, you did say you do get nervous or at least you did at first. Um, but you, you reached out to us essentially, like you made this all happen, uh, roughly a year ago. Like you were, you were on our radar, obviously, cause we remember the block, remember the great career. We knew you resonated with not only Nebraska fans, but people around the big 10 knew you, you have a brand, right? Like you have the fro, it's the fro show. <laughs> so, you know, you, you made this happen. You reached out, you came by the studio and kind of met with some of us, uh, before you even worked for, for the network. So it, you know, their nerves were there, like you said, but it seems like you kind of are on uh, JP's wavelength where it wasn't, you know, it was kind of a natural, smooth transition. Yeah. For me, I'm, I'm going to get nervous every time in studio just because it, it's a brand new um, realm for me, uh, just because I haven't really done that before. The digital content podcasting shows with JP where we just get to talk. That, that's what I, I mean, that's what I do. That's what I love to do. Um, is talk to people. My social media following, I honest to God, if I'm being completely honest, I have no idea why so many people have followed me, how I built that following. Because um, I, I got on Twitter in, I think it was my freshman year in college, it was 2011. Um, but I really, if I, I think JP makes a great point where it's just connecting with people, right? He said, it's his dad. My mom can work a room. Like she can, she can go into a room and talk to anybody, everybody, and everyone will love her at the end of the night. Um, so I get that from my mom, just, you know, listening to people, being honest with people. And then I think just being yourself, like being genuine. I've, for myself, I've always been honest with people. I don't ever think I'm necessarily right or wrong, um, but I am going to speak my truth, you know, 
And I, but it, I think it makes a difference on how you speak that truth and how you treat people really is uh, the de facto or the factor, right? That decides how people are going to respond to you. Luckily for me, um, I, I've just always enjoyed being around people. And then you put me in a place like Nebraska where they'll, they'll truly embrace you as a, as a legend. I mean, like <laughs> during your time there and then you do stuff like I was doing in college, I would stay like two hours after the football games and make sure everyone outside the stadium got an autograph before I went home, like that kind of stuff or just interacting throughout 10 years in, you know, Nebraska and the big 10 kind of territories allowed me to treat people the way I wanted to be treated and the way I love treating people. And that actually allowed me to build a phenomenal following of great fans. So I'm, I'm thankful for it every day. Kenny, it's, it's funny that you say that because I was the same guy and I, I was a, a serial lingerer. Like I would be the last guy out of the locker room anyway, but like on the, on the walk from the stadium to wherever my parents were parked, like I would do the same thing. I would yeah. stop. I'd take photos of anybody who asked. And uh, you know, one of the reasons is because it means so much to people. Like, mm -hmm. you know, they, they are meeting somebody who they didn't think that they would have a chance to meet or it's going to change their day. Or if, you know, like, obviously this year, like a lot of people would meeting a, a Buckeye or meeting a Husker in Nebraska would change a lot of people's perspective on all the bad things that happened this year. And so there's that selfishly for me, it's also the fact that when you're done playing at some point, they're going to forget about you. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you got to really live in the moment and appreciate it for yourself. Um, but I, I definitely think that has something to do with it. Like people remember when you're kind to them. Yeah simplest thing ever like people smile. remember how you make them feel for real like they really do smile yeah. you take the photo you shake hands like it's and it's not difficult it's no. it's literally not but people really remember that kind of stuff yeah i mean it could i mean it could get maybe a little annoying like just because if you're out at dinner and you've taken 80 photos and you're you're with the family like i get it might be like a little bit of a nuisance if you will but like come on man yeah, but your issue is you can't hide with that afro. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, that's you say you're at dinner, everybody knows, oh, that's KB. Well, my favorite would be like, are you Kenny Bell? Like, <laughs> nah. <laughs> Me? <laughs> I'll be standing in Lincoln, like outside the stadium. <laughs> Bro, so I know we're getting off topic, but I was out at the mall on Christmas Eve doing some shopping and uh, I was at Dick's Sporting Goods and the kid in there is the funniest way anybody has ever asked if I was Joshua Perry, he looked at me and then he looked at my fiance and then he looked back at me and said, am I tripping or are you Joshua Perry? <laughs> and my fiance was like, you're tripping. And I was like, no, 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 no. But I was dying laughing. <laughs> that is, hey, that's good. That's a good question. That is funny though. Cause like as a, a scrub like myself, you know, who grew up in a college town, but wasn't good enough to, to rise to the level of athletic success that you guys did. Um, you're right. Like I remember interacting with athletes. I remember who was nice. I remember who took the time to, to go out of their way and, you know, either shoot hoops with a kid. If we were at one of their open shoot arounds or sign a football, like it, that stuff totally resonates. So the fact that you guys recognize that, you know, and now it pays off down the road too. Cause like you guys were so approachable, recognizable that, um, you guys are still getting recognized obviously to this day. Um, just a, a curious question on my end on the media side of things. Like, do you, either of you consume other sports media, whether it's like on your phones or watching uh, studio shows or listening to podcasts? Like, 
it, it varies. And I can see Kenny shaking his head. And I know I've talked to Joshua about this before about podcasts to listen to and stuff like that. So like, do you guys need to get away from it or do you spend time trying to make, you know, your consumption of sports media more well-rounded? Uh, I'll toss it to you, JP. Yeah, I, I, uh, I consume sports media and mostly um, I like watching the other studio shows because I'm trying to see what we're doing and how it's different from what other networks are doing. I'm trying to see the delivery and the mannerisms of the other on-air talent that are more seasoned than I am and what's similar and what's different, what works for them um, that I might be able to incorporate into what I do. And a lot of times it's, you know, whatever your personality is, it, it is what it is. Um, but I, I definitely like to compare and contrast. I always want to see what's going on. Um, and, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. So if you see something somewhere else that's working, you know, might not necessarily work out for you, but you at least give it a nice little ponder and see. Um, I listen to podcasts as well. And, and most of the podcasts I listen to are outside of the sports media realm, but it's still good for me to listen to those for the same exact reasons. Like um, you just, you learn how to host a little bit better by consuming other people hosting. Um, and the fact of the matter, I just can't, I, I really can't get away from it. Like I, I enjoy college football to the point where it probably makes people around me sick, but like, I just like to watch it. I'm see, I'm on the opposite ex, uh, end of the spectrum there than JP, a lot less professional, which is probably why he's better at his job. Uh, but for me, I can't like, I can't watch sports talk shows in general, unless it's like SVP. There's, there's a very few people that I'll listen to. I'll listen to SVP and then broadcasters. Again, I like, I watch a lot of my football games on mute. Um, I just don't like to hear the analyzation of plays during games. I, I just, it annoys me when they're like, all right, now they're in trips, right? Uh, if you look at the defenses in four, three, this is what they're trying to attack, which I, I understand that people need that, right? Like they're watching the game for that, but I, I don't enjoy listening to that personally. Um, I get my, like my inspiration kind of like how I want to interview people. If you will, I watch David Letterman a lot. Um, the way the way people or the way he um, interviews is how I would, how I imagine myself in my future with what I'd like to do. Right. Um, I love football. I love sports. Um, but I want to know people. I want to interview people. I want to know their stories and I want them to know mine. Uh, that's what I'm passionate about. Uh, not that I don't love X's and O's and the game. Uh, I just think that there's, there's a market out there for telling these people's stories that isn't, you know, tapped into quite yet. So on that interview tip, that's one of the other reasons I like watching the shows, but mainly listening to radio is when I first got into media, I had no idea how to do like, you know, you bring on a guest for a radio show and how to do the interview or the same thing. Like you bring coach on after the selection show, what do you ask him? Because as a player, I feel like the things I want to know are very different than what the typical fan wants to consume and so you know my mind's working in a different way and so I had to train myself to when it comes to that not ask the question that I want to know as a player but ask the question that the typical fan at home wants to know the answer to so it's really right. interesting that you say that and I think that's part of the benefit of and especially the accessibility now of media but like just consuming the other stuff is like all right let me see where I'm lacking right now and where I can make up <laughs> yeah I remember Kenny you saying when we did what was called the video recall series where we had during quarantine a lot of uh, former athletes 
and coaches and whoever that was involved with these iconic games come on and rewatch on Zoom their uh, you know their their moments. And you said I'd never seen this before, and it was like a, a pretty big game. I think it was the Iowa. It was Miami, Miami, I think. Miami game, yeah, the Miami Nebraska game, twenty fourteen. Yeah, I was surprised seen. that you hadn't seen yeah. it, but like it was it made for a better. I think fan viewing experience that you hadn't seen it and you could see and, and um, recognize those moments coming back to you like in real time. Yeah, that is, that's a really good point. Like I've, I don't know JP, but like I never watched my broadcasted games in college. We played and then, you know, it was on to the next week. I didn't have like a recording of it. The film that I watched was obviously the film of the game from the sky cam, you know, from the um, media cam or from the media boxes and stuff that were our personal film. So it was uh, that was definitely an experience to say the least. Cause I I've never really watched any of those games from when I'm my time eleven to fourteen, uh, broadcasted. No, I used to watch the TV copy because I wanted to to hear if they were talking trash on your boy. <laughs> <laughs> Miss a tackle, I want to hear what they said. <laughs> Did you guys read like the press clippings though? Like I know some people say no, like I don't pay attention to that. Uh, social media was like well you know underway by the time both of you guys were in school. Like, did you guys pay attention to the noise? In Nebraska, I didn't. I uh, I was on my Twitter, but we got banned from Twitter one year. Um, like, but in terms of the, I never really read any of my own press clippings. My, you know what? My uh, my dad has all the magazine covers that I was ever on in Nebraska in his basement. I go up there every weekend. It's, I think there's like seven or eight of them, and I've never read a single story that's in any of those. So, um, you got eight magazine covers? I think so, bro. I might have like ten. They loved me out there. <laughs> they loved me out there, bro. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, that was. I think I have. I think I have like three or four Hell Varsity ones. One of my Hell Varsity shoots, we did like they brought in a new cameraman, and we did like a full Lenny Kravitz reshoot, and it was crazy. So I've got a cover, and it, it was a regional cover, um, but it was Sports Illustrated. So I, I feel proud oh, of myself there. After we won the title, and. The, the only reason I was on the cover, I led the team in tackles when we won the title, but that wasn't important because there were like eight of the 11 players on the defense were better than I was. I was, <laughs> I was real tight with our SID, our sports information director at OSU. Oh, okay. And anytime they needed somebody to do media, I would always be out there for interviews. So he's like, yep. let me reward you with this Sports Illustrated cover. That's I was love. like, hell yeah. Now that I think about it, I probably <laughs> I probably got all the attention because that back, yeah, the SID at Nebraska, that's one of my favorite people out there. His name's Keith Mann. And uh, that probably might have been why I got so much love. <laughs> yeah, no, for real. That's that is exactly what happened with me. Um, <laughs> but I, I used to I used to read, and and not like the little, you know, the the stories that would come out in the newspaper, or like the little blogs that were always writing, like, you know, the, the nice little, Oh yeah, this, that, and third. Like, I would search my name on Twitter just to see what all the haters were saying, uh, because I internalize that kind of stuff and I use it as as motivation. I'm like, oh, you're tougher I'm, than me, JP. <laughs> I'm like, uh, Bill hurt my feelings. And Tom Brady and the Patriots, where like I could be playing the best that I was playing, and I just wanted one person to tell me that I was terrible, and it just shifted my mentality that like I just I needed to grind a little bit more. Um, hmm. and so like, I'd, you know, I'd consume the hate and then just let the hate drive me. Oh man. See, I'm like, yeah, very opposite, man. My, I'm driven by love. Like I gotta feel, <laughs> I gotta feel like you care about me. You know, I think that that's, I, I think I get it from being a mama's boy, you know, <laughs> I, I truly believe, you know, you get the best out of people by showing them how much you love them and 
encouraging them. Yeah, it's as you know, I, I'm I'm with you on that because I think there is a certain point where you need the affirmation and, and you definitely feel appreciated. Uh, but I was always worried that I was going to get too soft reading too many people telling me how good I was. Yeah, I guess I guess it was nice because my like coaching staff kicked me in the so much <laughs> <laughs> that I that I got some love from the fans and family, so uh, it, it balanced me out. JP is like the Ohio State Kevin Durant. He's got his burner. <laughs> yeah right <laughs> back at people i thought he was gonna say he was on like the forums i know those forums. oh man no, no no no, no. I, that yeah, was one those, thing i stayed away from like those, it, yeah those gotta start stay reading the replies on twitter is bad <laughs> enough but you go on the little fan forums i don't stay off the fan forums it's a bad deal well that's funny because i i did want to get back into that and revisit kind of what you said about how those fan bases are so passionate and you know we we're lucky with you too because ohio state has kind of the content factory going like they recognize and everybody recognizes this now but they've mastered it along with some other schools like Clemson um in basically making their athletes brand names and and making that part of their recruiting pitch right like we're going to turn you into an NFL brand name before yeah. you leave Columbus Ohio yeah Nebraska you're going to be a, gonna be a too. TikTok superstar well Nebraska recognizes it too because you guys have the whole open doors thing going yep, yep. like you guys at Nebraska recognized this early on. And I've had Blake Lawrence on and Adi Kanalik, who both founded Open Doors, and Prince Amukamara was part of that, and all those guys. Those and, are the boys. Yeah, and they, you know, they they recognize that athletes have this this voice that really was untapped until social media came along and still goes untapped until, you know, sometimes other people kind of extract it through these mediums, right? So with Ohio State and Nebraska that are both so engaged and so passionate, I'm kind of curious, like, do you guys get more blowback now from your own fan bases? Like what if you say something that is, you know, nice about Iowa, Kenny, or or JP, you say something that, uh, you know, is either critical of uh, Buckeye or talk about Michigan, like, or, or do you get more uh, blowback from other fan bases like your rivals now that you guys are both in the public space? Because I've seen, like, both of you, neither of you are afraid to clap back on Twitter which I like a lot, you know, you guys will dive in the mentions and get dirty, get, get your, uh, get your hands dirty and mix it up a little bit. So who do you get like the most, uh, I guess, negative feedback from, is it your own fan bases or, um, you know, the, those rivals who still recognize and, and take it too far maybe with, uh, those rivalries that, that persist. Husker fans without like, it's not even close. Mm. Yeah. Like other, other fan bases show me a lot of love. I don't really get, I've noticed that bases. even you, from, even from Hawkeye fans, you know, they love you. Yeah, like, I, but I'm also reasonable, you know, I'm not going to sit up there and like, I love the Huskers and anybody that knows me knows that, but I'm not going to sit up there and lie, you know, like, that's just not who I am. Uh, but the blowback has been way worse from Nebraska fans, man. When they played, uh, it was the last week of our fantasy pick. Boy, and we could only, well, I had to pick a running back and I could only, there was only but like three running backs available because if you know how the game works, as we picked throughout the season, we lost those players off the available players roster. So you couldn't pick them. I had like two running backs left. I think it was like the Rutgers and Maryland game was going on. I could pick one of those backs or I could take Mo Ibrahim, uh, the best running back in the league or the league leader. And I took him, but they were playing Nebraska that day. And he had, I don't know, he had a hundred yards and like two touchdowns. And Nebraska fans were legitimately in my mentions telling me that they were I I'm that they weren't fans of mine anymore and I'm bad at making decisions. And I was like, you got you people are crazy. Like I picked a player for a fantasy football game at work. 
<laughs> and now I'm now I'm a bad dude. Now you don't support me anymore. Like you're dead to me. Yeah. So like, yeah. The, but like that kind of stuff always like that just tickles me. You know what I mean? Because like if, the, if you're going to be that shallow of a person with that kind of stuff, I don't want your support anyway. You know what I mean? Like clearly I'm not saying I wanted Minnesota to win the football game. I had to pick a damn running back for a competition. It's, it's so funny, too, because one of the, the guys who was on there was like, well, now you just alienated 80,000 people. And we're both, I was texting Kenny about it. I was like, bro, get your man because there's something wrong with him. It's right? so funny, but you, you made an interesting point with everything going on with Nebraska. Like, I can understand how that's going. And I'm going to let people in on something here. I've got the easy job because you, you can't call me biased when I say Ohio State's going to win every game. <laughs> like, you can't call me biased when I say Ohio State's good. Ohio State fans get mad at me when I'm digging and I'm looking critically at some of the things that didn't go well. And it's not a lot of them, but they're like, oh, man, this is a really good team. Like, why are you doing that? It's like, well, my job is to analyze. And I can say they won the game, but X, Y, and Z needs to improve. Um, Michigan fans have been great. They think I do a good job, and I try to keep it straight down the line when I'm doing my analysis. I try to come from a, a very neutral standpoint in terms of how I look at that team. One thing that I do want to point out, you know, it's funny because you guys have those connections to your fan bases, and I do think with those deep connections, fans think that they can get a little more reckless with you, right? Like, they know you, and they're like, if they hear you say something, they're like, oh, man, why is Kenny stabbed me in the back? Or, or why, why is Joshua being so critical? And, like, that's going to happen with any any fan base. Like, trust me, reading the mentions and running the social media for all 14 Twitter accounts, like, <laughs> there's, there's a pocket of every fan base in the country that is unhinged. Yeah. And that's not unique to any of the 14 Big Ten schools or any school across the country. But you guys, <laughs> that's, that's, you guys get the brunt of it when you... That's, that's an indictment on our society. Yeah. <laughs> right. You, you guys get the brunt of it when you are, you know, already attached to these these uh, these schools, you know, both on the field and then continuing as, as alumni now. So it's interesting to hear that. Um, but I, I do think another, another thing that, like, 2020 has brought... Um, and I, I'm interested to hear if you guys agree with this, but you guys have continued to build your online presence, your social profile, and, and it's all kind of coincide and run parallel to everything that happened in 2020 with like athlete empowerment and athletes giving, getting a, basically commanding a larger seat at the table and getting a larger voice in how college sports are ran, how society is ran um, and everything that encompasses it. So I think if there's a silver lining to all the turmoil that we've had in 2020. It's people are, are continuing more and more to see athletes as individuals, not as just people behind the helmet, you know, people on TV, people on Twitter, et cetera. So one, do you agree with that? That like there has progress has been made and there's going to be some people that are just never going to get with the program and whatever, like they can be miserable over here. But I think more and more people are hopping on board with that idea. And also, you know, understanding this, what would you still like fans to come around on a little more and understand about you, you know, as as people, as athletes and individuals? Um, I'm going to run off on this one real quick. So first off, I think Big Ten Network has done a really good job of allowing us to talk about social issues. And I remember over the summer uh, hopping on the podcast with Harold and, and uh, Coley to talk about the unrest that was going on and our experiences as uh, first and foremost, black men, but also people who are um, intersectionally involved in sports. 
um, and, and just what all of that means. And then this year on uh, Big Ten Tailgate, we had the opportunity every week to do a segment on a social issue. And uh, a lot of them were intersections between sports and race, but we also did some that were intersectional between uh, sports and gender, and different things like that. And it was, it was awesome. It's fantastic. And uh, so I think not only on our personal platforms, but some of the more mainstream uh, channels are allowing athletes to have a seat at the table and use their voice. Uh, you know, like CNN's using athletes as correspondents on some of the social issues, and it's big to do that. And, um, you know, even down to the local level where you see some news stations bringing in athletes because they're notable people in the community to talk about these different things. And we have firsthand experience a lot of times with the issues that we're talking about. It's great. The thing that I would like to see from sports fans is a continuation of our conversations. When you see us doing it on Twitter and Instagram, when you listen to it on the podcast, when you see us doing it on Big Ten Tailgate, I want the conversation that we have to continue in your circles, whether it's among your family, your colleagues, your friends, whatever it is. And what I mean by that is um, when you are a white person and you're listening to a black person talk about their experiences with racial injustice, you as a white person need to have that conversation and you need to do it respectfully and tactfully. And a lot of times uh, with, without a black person present, but it's important that you continue that and you listen to what we say and you echo those sentiments and you try to heal that way. Because if it takes a black person in the room every time to explain what the issues are, and a lot of us don't necessarily exist in the same spaces at the same times all the time, then we're never going to progress. We had Lisa Byington on tailgate and she did a great job talking about women in sports. And it was a huge topic because Brown University's quarterback coach is a woman. The Cleveland Browns had the first female uh, NFL position coach when one of their coaches was out with COVID. We saw Sarah Fuller at Vanderbilt, who was uh, the first uh, female to score points in a, a power five conference game. Um, and all of those are big, but as men, we need to be comfortable talking about um, how we can be more inclusive toward women in our circles. And it's not just sports and it's not just on the field, but also when we're at work and when we're among our friend groups, how can we be inclusive? How can we be respectful? And how can we be champions of somebody without them being present? Um, and so that, that's probably my biggest takeaway is it's fine. And I hope that people enjoyed what we had to say and it was impactful. But at the same time, it's not just us saying it, it has to be everybody taking it into their own spaces and having those conversations and really forcing the issue on progress. I'm, I'm good on that one. I, I don't even have a follow-up. He killed that. I, I feel the exact same way. He knocked it out of the park. Uh, yeah, he really did. Well, and this is before you were um, officially on board at, at Big Ten Network, Kenny, but I'll echo what Joshua said about, one, you know, the network – expanding to hear these voices and amplify these voices. It's been great. Um, I'm glad that the, the podcast got to play a small part in that. Joshua, Coley, and Harold did a great job back in June, you know, speaking from the heart. Um, it was a conversation that I encourage everyone to go back and listen to if you have the time. It was uh, it was really, you know, raw at the time. I'm thinking back to that, those two weeks were incredibly, you know, uh, potent and just – Kenny, I know you would have done a, a similar job expressing, you know, your feelings because you've done 
the same thing on social media and uh, when we've talked privately. But I, I want to get your thoughts, Kenny, on on how you know you've kind of been able to express yourself on either social media. I know you're you're not as involved in the, the tailgate segments, but uh, just in this year that has passed us by in 2020, what's it been like to kind of navigate everything as uh, as a black man in America? Yeah, it's it's interesting for me because I'm from Boulder, right? So I was raised with nothing but white people, white kids. Um, so I, when I got out of the Boulder bubble, I went to Nebraska, and even still, um, still dealing with some stuff. But I wasn't really aware of you know, the underlying feelings a lot of times uh, until I really got to the league in these past few years where I've started to become a young man and starting to realize how things operate. Um, it's been a tiring year, I think, right? Because I know a lot of really great white people. I know a lot of really great black people. I know a lot of great people. Um, I think the most, I guess, exhausting thing is how polarizing everything is, right? Um, that line that's drawn in the sand right now is brutal. And it's, I mean, it's obviously been dri um, drawn there for a reason and I'm not judging. Uh, I'm not going to get into how I feel on either side or how I feel about the opposite group. But I think what is most important is that we start to hear each other again, right? Like we got to have some empathy uh, to move forward. And I think this year as being who I am, that's what I've struggled with the most, right? Is losing friendships, losing relationships, um, losing contact with people that I, you know, I, I did care about for a long time. Um, and it's over, it's over, I think a lack of communication. Right. So I think when we can get back to that time where we actually like hear one another and are willing to have conversations, um, and be reasonable towards one another, uh, I'll be, I'll be very much looking forward to that day. Uh, but I think as a black man in America, that was the most exhausting thing this year, you know, trying to have to explain what is wrong, um, which should be clear in everyone's eyes, I think, with some stuff, uh, is just exhausting. Like having to explain privilege, having to explain um, the discrepancies on police brutality towards African-Americans and minorities in our country. Uh, those things are all written on the wall. Just people decide not to look at it. And I think you can't grab their face and, you know, force them to look at it. You have to find a way to communicate where you're coming from and be you have to empathize with your oppressor, which is something that takes a lot of patience and a lot of strength. Um, so I just, I, I think that's, that's tiring. And I'd love to see that change over these next few years. And I think we're making the right decisions in terms of making that progress with giving people the platforms and having the conversations, but we do have a very long way to go. Thanks for sharing that, Kenny. And yeah, I, I agree with what Joshua said as well about, listening because I, I mentioned it earlier. I think there's like a slice of the population that doesn't want to get it, may never get it. And that's just unfortunate. I think there's another slice who maybe got it for two weeks in June and they were all about it. And then once the NFL season started or what have you, they're like, Oh man, they're still talking about this. Like what, what's the, what's the, you know, we, I thought we went over this already. My hope is that that slice of the population dwindles down and, and more people, can recognize what you both touched on um and it's it's ironic because kenny like you said the wrong people are tired here right like why why, yeah. why, why should the people be tired of hearing you know this message when in reality kenny it's it's like you just 
expressed. It's 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 you who is uh, exhausted after all. Yeah. So I don't I don't want to dig necessarily too far into this because I know it's not what this specific show is about. But <laughs> I think it's really interesting how you said like there were people that were on it for maybe like two weeks to a month, and then it was just like it was nothing to them. Um, and I think for a lot of those people, it was because it was a viral moment and it was a social media moment and they could black out their Twitter and they could put their posts up and they could do their hashtag and they could feel like they were, um, they were performing activism that way. And they could feel like they were connecting that way. And they could feel like they were involved in a, uh, a cultural turning of the tide, if you will. Um, but for a lot of people, this is not. A, a trending topic. It's not a cultural moment. It's not about a hashtag. It is literally about lives and it's about respect and it's about comfort and it's about opportunity. And so it's, it's super unique because it's two different perspectives. And I think that's, that's the hardest thing to deal with is perspective because a lot of times you really got to meet in the middle um, in order to get it figured out. But like, if, for one person, it can be just a viral moment and they can leave it alone. For another person, it's literally a difference between life and death. That's a huge disconnect. And we have to find a way to eliminate such a, a broad disconnect. And I, I don't know necessarily what it is, except for having those conversations that we keep talking about. Yeah, this kind of encapsulates what this whole discussion and podcast is supposed to be about. Like, it's getting to know you guys, you know, beyond what people see on their screens. I didn't have this written out as like a, outline for what the discussion and where it would go but like it's just real life like you gotta you know you gotta be willing to listen if the conversation goes there take it there you know don't be don't shy away from it that's what I feel like we need to do and and I you know I think the percentage of people I hope this audience I've done a good job crafting and, and steering toward um toward you know towards I, social if, justice if, if if someone turned this off like they haven't been listening to the rest of my podcast because right whatever we're not gonna shy away from it but again like it's what it's what the network has done a good job, I think, of amplifying and, and on multiple platforms, and I hope we continue to do it. Um, so, yeah, we did get down a serious road there. Um, never going to be mad at that. And before I, I let you guys go, uh, I do want to have a little more fun and, and try and dig up some, uh, some not dirt, but the best part about talking to you guys once the, once the red light goes off is, is hearing some stories. And you don't have to share anything too you know, too deep here, but I do want to know, like, if, if we could get anybody from your schools, one person on any of your current mediums that you guys operate in, right? Like Kenny's got the fro show, <clears throat> JP has podcasts and, you know, we, we bring him in the digital studio all the time. So if you get one person to, I guess, <laughs> share, you know, spill their stories, right? Like I always use the use the example of Tim Miles, who Kenny had on the Fro Show, the, the Nebraska basketball coach, at the Final Four. And I walked by him at the Final Four in San Antonio, and he has uh, a bunch of people around him at this hotel lobby table, and there's like 40 beers on the table, and clearly they've just been telling stories all night. So uh, I'll start with you, JP. Who would you try and get like from Ohio State circles to just go unfiltered? There's no consequences to this, and you think could come up with some uh, – you know, good, uh, good, good stories from, from either your days together or just in the Ohio State Buckeye universe. I, I, I think the easy answer is probably uh, Cardell Jones is a guy I played with and a uh, really close friend of mine. He's actually writing a book uh, about his experiences, but 
Uh, obviously, great player, won us a national title. Hell of a compelling story, though, just from like the literal beginnings and his upbringing, going to um, prep school before coming to Ohio State. And then the fact that Cardell Jones almost wasn't a thing at Ohio State because he legitimately contemplated leaving the program. Um, and even now to this day, like some of the the things that he had issues with, some of the things that he wishes he could have done differently, some of the people he didn't get along with, like there, there's a lot to really dig into with that guy. And you could you could play it from the on the field moments, but you could really like you could you could write a you know two three part documentary on his years at OSU, and I think it would be compelling. Kenny, I think I know who you might say. You've brought this person up. I won't say it though. I, I want to. I'm curious to hear who you have in mind, but uh, I'll let you know if we're on the same page here. I, yeah, I had a few in mind, but honestly, if I was going to give one, if I was had the opportunity to sit down with one one guy unfiltered, you know, and let him speak his truth and tell his story, it'd be my head man. It'd be Bo Pelini. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, without it'd be Bo. Um, the amount of love I have for Bo, the amount of respect I have for Bo, uh, is incredibly biased, right? Um, I came from. I have an incredible stepfather and a really great dad too, but my mom was single while raising me for a little bit. Um, so I was a little, I wasn't reckless. Like I wasn't, I've always been respectful, um, but I didn't listen to authority at all. Like I didn't listen to male authority um, until I got to Nebraska and uh, Bo really changed my life. Um, how I approach my day, how, you know, uh, how I approach work my my work ethic my goals um the attitude i have about achieving those that all came from Polini and that uh coaching staff and you know he got that rap for being the angry real angry you know bubblegum chewing spitting in ref's face uh ref you know that was uh disrespectful a lot but that dude is one of the most loving uh loving and fun dudes to be around so to sit around a table and get to have a beer with with the head man uh that'd be my pick Love it, yeah. And I talked about this with Harold on uh, the interview that's coming up. We recorded it earlier today. And that's what I love about like college football, it's, it, it, especially when it comes to coaches, because I feel like a lot of times a lot of coaches get propped up by the media or the fan bases as these larger-than-life you know, individuals. And sometimes I feel like the coaches get to their heads. You guys can speak to this more than me, but like – they get in the role of playing the character at the press conference, right? And I, I can never tell if the connection is there underneath the surface with their players. Tom Allen, I think, was a great example of this year, the connection was there. And I talked about this with Harold coming up, so we get into that a little bit. But, like, that's what I like to see. Like, I need to know that, that the connection is there with, with majority of their players. You know, there's 100 kids on the team. You're not going to connect with everybody. But I need to know that, like, <laughs> the, guy, the, the coach who's at the – the press conference yucking it up and making headlines and all the reporters are oh, like, look at this coach. You know, he, he's so funny. Like <laughs> this coach is uh, uh, protect this man at all costs, you know, that type of thing. And I'm just like, okay, but is it real with the players? So like, right, I'm glad right. you brought that up, Kenny. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it makes the biggest, I mean, that's what makes college football so special, right? Like it's the passion. It's the family aspect of the, of the game that that's why I love it so much. Like it, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but NFL football is better right? Like it, it, they execute better. Um, they move faster. Just everything about the game is better, except in my opinion, why college football is number one in my book is because of the passion is because of the love. It's because of those relationships that people have. And to see that 
from a head coach reflect into his team, I think is the most powerful thing in sports. And it's not just football. Football is incredible because I think it's the greatest team sport in the world. Um, but that, that stuff's not unique to just football. That's, that's unique to great head coaches of whatever, or great teachers in general. Right. Um, so I, I love seeing that kind of stuff. And Tom, I shoot Tom Allen, if he was a corn husker would be at the top of my list as well. Cause JP, JP mentioned him at the beginning of the year being coach of the year. And I was like, really? And halfway through, I was like, man, I want to, I want to suit up for this dude. So yeah, there's a lot yeah, to be well, said. So we could talk about him for a sec. Yeah. Um, you, you brought up something about connecting with people earlier, Kenny, and the word you used was genuine. And that's what I see out of Tom Allen. Um, and I like, I can't wait for the moment when I, when I get to meet him in person uh, because of how genuine he is with his players. And I mean, he's, he's very honest with us in the media as well. Like he's the same guy. I feel like wherever he goes, um, and that's why guys play hard when you, when you have a connection to your coach, whether it's head coach, position coach, whatever, I feel like you play a little bit harder. I feel like that's what, I mean, that, that's life in general, man. Like, yeah. I mean, I know we're always talking about the game, but the game is a microcosm of life. And I, I think it's a perfect example. Like you want people to perform, perform for them. Yes. You know what I mean? Perform for them. And they will, they will shoot. I would have, I would have laid down on a train track for Bo in college, man. <laughs> you know, a great leader like that will, you know, will be able to influence you in some very positive ways. And guys like Tom Allen are a perfect example. I was so wrong on Tom Allen. I, a couple of years ago, I was like, man, this guy, like Indiana needs to, to go in a different direction. Uh, I didn't say this like, you know, on Twitter or anything, but just in the office because I'm like, this guy got the job because Wilson left and he was just this high school coach who kind of hung around completely wrong. Um, I apologize, <laughs> Tom Allen. That's why I don't know much about football. I've told you guys, I don't know that much about football. Like I'm a huge fan. Like I'm, I watched every NFL game pretty much. Um, you know, college, obviously it's my job too, to, to watch most games. And, but like, if we go on that bus tour in the summer and I'm going to the every practice and like Howard and Jerry and Dave can watch the practice and like know who has the best offensive line and like, Oh, th this position group looks good. And I'm like, I just see, you know, I can just tell that Ohio state has like NFL bodies and, <laughs> and, big. and this other school doesn't, but like I, my, <laughs> my interpretation of the game is at such a service level. It's, it's, I need, that's why I lean on you guys to help me out. So we'll coach you up. We got yeah. you. But like you guys touched on it with the human connection and all that. We're getting towards the end here, but I, I really hope college football is able to come back to something resembling full form next season. Cause like, in my opinion, it's the sport that has suffered the most in the pandemic as far as losing what its essence, right? Like the college football is the pageantry. It is the connection to your community, to your campus and some marching bands and it's everybody getting together tailgating. Um, you know, like it just suffered. It just took such a hit. Right. With, with like, I, I'm used to the NFL now without fans. Like I enjoy the games so much college basketball. It's rough without the student sessions and all that, but still like, I think basketball translates better, um, with no fans than, than, uh, than football does. So I, I, you know, we could have so much fun guys at like, you know, these games, like last year we had, uh, we had Kenny at, or I'm sorry, we had Joshua at, uh, Indianapolis with the giant sign that said, come come talk smack to me, come talk trash to me, Wisconsin fans. <laughs> and Wisconsin fans are so damn nice too. Nobody actually talked any trash. Like I know Midwest fans? nice. They're Midwest nice. Oof. 
And also, that's like, not, that's not like my experience with Badger fans, bro. I feel like Wisconsin Ohio, and Ohio State fans, there's no like animosity there, though. You know, well, I mean? guess there, I guess there's a lot different. Wisconsin, they have pull like they have polar opposite fan base. Like they've got like the old build Midwestern fan base, then they've got like the young crazy Madison school or going to Wisconsin just. Mad City. Uh, when, yeah, Madison, that was – I mean, the Wisconsin fans being nice to you, that's a kudos, dog. They yeah, must well, I mean, we were at FanFest too, so it was really family-friendly. And, you know, I, I don't know a lot of people who are willing to to really take it there in front of their kids. You know? <laughs> Hold on, baby. I got to tell Joshua Perry what's up. <laughs> can, you, can you imagine if we had Kenny at the Big Ten Championship game, like, you know, being <laughs> there if Iowa was playing? And having them talk smack to Kent, like that would be that'd be fun. Yeah, <laughs> we got we got a lot of fun things ahead of us. I think, guys, you know, just yeah. gotta keep the squad together. Um, and before we wrap up, I I do wanna I, I give you one piece of homework for the interview, and that was just to think of your funniest moment from the year of working at, at Big Ten Network. Um, I'll get us started off. Actually, no, I'm not gonna start because I don't want to steal one of your guys in case we have the same one. Um, <laughs> Joshua, I'll let you start. What was kind of the the uh, moment that you'll look back on and and you're like, that was uh, that was pretty funny. That was uh, that was a hilarious moment because I get it. I get it. Like almost every day, you guys are in the group chat. So yeah, there there are a lot of moments that are not shareable. Uh, they're not for everybody to hear. It's privileged content, so I'm sorry about that. But I'll, I'll share this. So um, I I give a lot of credit to people working behind the scenes at BTN. Wes Goldstein, for example, is a guy who deserves as much credit as anybody in that office because he's had a hell of a year um, as an engineer trying to figure everything out with virtual content, pairing that up with studio and everything. But um, I would be in studio in Chicago. Kenny was at home. And uh, every Friday, basically at the same time, we would record our segment for pick six. And I would sit down, producers in my ear. One of them's (laughs) at home. The other producers in the office. Kenny is wherever he is at. Kenny, Kenny was in Colorado. He was in Kansas. He was in Mexico at one point. I mean, he was, we, that was our first time doing tailgate internationally. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I digress. I'd sit down, put my mic on producer, come my ear, Joshua, can you hear me? Yep. You know, go over whatever. Kenny would be talking to me. Hey, JP, can you hear me? I would say yes. And Kenny wouldn't be able to hear me on the other end. And so we would spend 10 minutes trying to figure out what the issue was. So then I would say, Hey, Kenny, can you hear me? And Kenny would say yes, but then I couldn't hear Kenny. And so we would go around and we'd do another 10 minutes trying to figure it out. And something would happen where I couldn't hear the producer. And then finally we would spend 35 minutes getting ready for us to tape a segment that would air for three minutes and 30 seconds on Saturdays. Yeah. And so we did that the one week. I come back the next week, same issue, same thing. And me and Kenny would be texting on the side like, damn, 2020 has been a hell of a year because we can't get this thing figured out. But that was my one moment. Like, it's that stuff that I tend to appreciate too because it, 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 it lets your guard down a little bit. And especially probably for Kenny, who's newer. But like our first time doing that, I wasn't exactly sure how it was going to be. And I was kind of sitting in the host seat a little bit, introing the segment and kind of teeing it up, telling the rules, I would close it out. And so for me, that was a position that I'm usually not in. I'm usually just the analyst. Dave has thrown it to me and then I say what I have to say and toss it back to him. 
But like having all that other stuff go wrong beforehand definitely dropped my guard down a little bit because I'm like, all right, you know, this is everybody's in this together. Nobody's mad that anything went wrong. We're just making sure we can all do it right. But yeah, that was hell of a deal. It was like three weeks in a row. That's funny. I was going to tell the same story because we literally like for, yeah, it was three, four weeks in a row where we get in, we'd wait like 10, 15 minutes to even like be able to hear each other and communicate. And then we'd film for like 30 minutes and then it would air for three minutes on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have people text me like, Hey, when are you going to be on BTN tailgate? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> so Saturday. The one, I started getting on the producers because I would always do like the cool little intro and then I would do like the cool little outro or whatever. And they would always end up chopping it up and it would be my best stuff that would go yeah. in the intro and the outro. Like I'm telling jokes, Kenny's laughing, <laughs> having a great time. And then it airs on Saturday. All right, Kenny, you know the rules. What's your pick? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, come I think, on. I think, I think my funniest might've been like every time I, uh, would just mess something up. We would wait for like 10, 15 minutes to get it right. And then I would mess it up. <laughs> JP, JP would have to fix his coat and tie and just shake his head like this dude. <laughs> no, my, my, uh, favorite, my favorite is Carmen, who's one of the producers. He would come on and he would be like, all right, Kenny, we're going to blame that one on Joshua. Yeah, like, <laughs> or no, how about, how about what he told me? He said, hey, Kenny, you got some notes? Because uh, we're not going to show your face. <laughs> You can just read your notes. <laughs> oh, it's magical, guys. It's, it's, yeah. Making All TV right. is fun. Yeah. And he so realized fun. very quickly, like, digital and TV are not remotely the same. He's like, are you guys, like, together? And, like, week one or two, I'm like, no, that's a whole different operation. Yeah, very different teams. When we Whoa. shoot this stuff, I'm like, rarely, one, do we edit anything out unless you guys, like, say something offensive, which is not often. Um, <laughs> and then also, we'll just, like, keep rolling with it and – we will hardly ever stop you. So it's definitely TV. Uh, the TV world is, is very different. So it's, it's funny that you brought that up, that it took you guys so long to, uh, to, you know, shoot that three minute segment, but I'm not, I'm not surprised. Cause like that's going out to an audience that is far larger than the one that is consuming uh, the replies on YouTube. Yeah. Although we will get there someday. Uh, <laughs> step by step. So my, my moments that I had uh, one, I think, Kenny's uh, story of pooping himself on the field. Oh yeah, that was incredible. The poop game. That was nice to get that off my chest. I've been I had been keeping that secret for a long time. See, like people that can laugh at themselves. Like I've worked with some talent on air that just like can't, you know, for whatever reason, uh, really go there. But we love it when when you're just like, you know, whatever. Let's get it out there, and people appreciated it. Like in those in those mentions, like. Kenny, that, that earned you uh, some brownie points. No pun intended, man. Like <laughs> yeah. brownie points. Honestly, like, people, I couldn't believe how many people on watched watched it. Yes. Like last time I One checked, fan it, like, found it. Yeah, it was like at forty thousand views when I saw yeah. it, like last. And then yeah, the amount of people <laughs> caught like the comments under it were all like supporting. Like so we had to we had to get <laughs> like it. Like I started a poop myself uh, association. Like for everyone could they could talk about it now. They're comfortable. <laughs> we had to get that out quick because it was the day after the Lamar Jackson episode. Yeah, it was. It was right so, after like, that. We didn't have time to go game. find find the game. We could have found Good it. Game. Yeah, it went like just a year too far back in our archives where we couldn't like easily scrounge it up. So yeah, so uh, we could have we could have found it and like even enhanced that video. But I think it's like the people in the uh, comments found it just fine. Yeah, they had like a YouTube link. Yeah. Uh, my other ones, honorable mention: Kenny struggling to eat uh, seven. Buckeye chocolates, I believe it was. After. That was miserable. I don't. I don't consider that funny. 
after Ohio <laughs> State uh, put up seven touchdowns on Nebraska as part of the bet. And then part of that was also JP. I think I laughed the hardest when JP grimaced at the corn because he only had to eat two, but uh, Bro, that, that face he made. It wasn't even like him eating. It was just dripping. him picking it, was it up just, and looking at it. It was, like, it was just uh, floppy and just dripping. I was like, Oh, oh man! And then the last one, it goes back to your TV uh, topics you were talking about, and and Kenny being all over the place. But when you called in from from Mexico, I was in Alex Birchie's office, and like <laughs> Ed is on the screen, and I see I see Kenny, and he's like in a hotel, and like his bed his headboard is right here, and I'm like to Alex Birchie, I'm like, yo, you know he's in Mexico right now, right? And <laughs> and he's like, oh really? I'm like, yeah, he's probably like half in the bag right now you know, all <laughs> of resort and i texted uh joshua and kenny after this and, and brent and jordan and i'm like yeah sorry i uh i ratted on you and said you're in mexico and and uh said you were probably you know a little inebriated and and, and <laughs> the photo you <laughs> I think said you thought, i think you thought i was like serious and you're like oh you're like bro why are you trying to help me like that or something <laughs> The photo you sent was hilarious. Bro. Yes, there was a screenshot of it. Yeah, you screenshot my face, and I was like, "There was no life behind those eyes." <laughs> that is hilarious. He was drinking margaritas for breakfast, people. Yeah, I'm say it's hard to broadcast on your fifth margarita at 11 a.m. <laughs> All right, we're just kidding, bosses. That was a yeah, joke. No, seriously. that was a joke. That yeah. was 100 no. a joke. <laughs> but that was that. I, I'd have to find that that image and we'll, we'll dig it up because it was good. Um. All right, fellas, like I told you guys, this would be like 20, 30 minutes. Yeah, right. Uh, it's like an hour 20 at this point, hour 15. As is tradition. Plus my discussion with Harold is like an hour, hour 15 coming up. So well like, worth it. This is just like end of year. You know, this can this can live on. Uh, we There's a lot to get to this year. So we kind of had to, you know, go long and, and um, try and make it all make sense. But yeah, appreciate you fellas for jumping on. Um, appreciate all you guys have done this year. Hopefully, much more to come. Uh, you know, I, we're gonna give JP a little bit of a break because he's he's the football guy. But Kenny, Kenny's contract, we gotta put him to work, man. He's got like winter, spring sports coming up, yep. and we, we know JP is always welcome as well to to hop back on. I was gonna say I need to might need to go ahead and, and do a little profit share on that contract with KB and keep me employed <laughs> through the the the, the, <laughs> the winter and the spring. You know what I'm saying? Well, you can be like me, just uh, get your fourth job. Well, hey, listen, I'm on three of them right now, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> It's never enough. <laughs> Golly. I only you, have one. you know it's bad when your dad is like, dang, you got another one? Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I this is my philosophy. I know we're just way over on time. My philosophy is I'm 26. I'm just grind my tail off right now. Just keep stacking it up. And then one day I'm going to be like KB and I'm going to be doing my shows from Mexico. <laughs> just post it up chilling. <laughs> Respect. But hey, Rue, thanks for having me, bro. I really appreciate it. As always, it's love working with you guys. So thank you. No, appreciate you. Appreciate you, JP. And um, you know, I'm sure the I'm sure we'll blow up the group chat with with plenty of fun stuff in 2021. No doubt. All right, boys. All right, fellas. All right. Appreciate you. All right. Thanks once again to JP and KB for joining. Had a ton of fun all year working with them uh, all football season. I'm sure we'll continue to do stuff getting into the rest of the winter and the spring, um, especially with Kenny, who is on with us uh, through the entire year. We'll find ways to utilize him and uh, won't bother Joshua as much until football comes back for 2021. But uh, a lot of fun talking to them, a lot of fun 
reminiscing on some of our favorite memories and, and getting to know, hopefully, uh, you know, I know them a little bit, but hopefully allowing the fans to get to know them a little bit behind the mic and kind of show what goes into this new age sports commentator, sports caster, uh, especially in this digital friendly world. So hopefully you learned something and, and got to know those guys a little bit more. All right, tossing over now to Harold Shelton, Big Ten Network's manager of research. Talk with him quite often on the show, pretty much every episode since uh, football season started. We always get him on to kind of uh, hash out what's going on in Big Ten football and basketball. He's very plugged in, is on top of all the the stats, what it means, and conveys it in a way that is uh, far more advanced than I can. So uh, really appreciate him jumping on all year. Uh, pretty much throughout the last two or three years here on the show, but wanted to get him on to also reflect on everything that's happened in 2020. He's been uh, a really important person at the network to push us forward in uh, terms of diversity and also, you know, alongside his everyday job, which which always pushes us forward as far as stats and analytics goes and research. Um, he, he's pushing the network forward in other ways. So we wanted to reflect on kind of what's gone on in 2020 as we look ahead to 2021 and then also of course talk some major big 10 sports that are coming up most of all the college football playoff with ohio state about to take on clemson a couple days here talk plenty about uh about the implications of that talk some college football playoff big picture as far as maybe getting some more teams a crack at the uh uh, the ultimate prize here in coming years with some possible expansion talks going on and a lot of discussion uh, swirling about that then talked college basketball as well with the Big Ten getting record-breaking nine teams in Monday's AP poll. So a lot of exciting things coming up, and Harold and I went extra long to uh, to get to hopefully all of it. So this is a extended episode, like I said. Hopefully, it covers some of the gaps that we've we've missed uh, over the, the days and weeks, and then also just kind of ra- puts a bow on and wraps up the uh, the year that was. So. Get into it. It's Harold Shelton, ETN's manager of research. That discussion starts right now. I'm very pleased to be rejoined by Harold Shelton, regular contributor, manager of research for Big Ten Network. Would not want to close the year out with anyone else. Talking hoops, talking football, talking all kinds of ball. Harold, welcome back. Happy holidays, man. Thanks. Good to be back. Uh, Happy holidays to you as well. For sure. Uh... First of all, notice you got a different backdrop today, so anyone watching on YouTube can notice that. Grind doesn't stop when you're on the road. I appreciate that. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm still in Detroit um, at my wife's parents' house. So uh, we, we call this the red room, you know, based on the color scheme. So, uh, you know, just just here still, like you said, the grind doesn't stop. So whenever we can get the pie going, whether it's a hotel, uh, my house, my house, my wife's parents house my mom's house wherever it is we're gonna get it done love it and you know when i was typing out the kind of outline for this discussion and going through some of the topics you know usually you come on we talk about the topics of the week or something like that with you know football basketball whatever's going on in season and i was kind of going through obviously we got a college football playoff game coming up with ohio state a lot of basketball storylines going on but i sat back you know with it being the end of the year just kind of reflected on everything that has gone on in 2020 and especially you know how the world of sports has kind of intersected with the larger happenings going on you know with 
COVID-19, social justice, and it just kind of all hit me at once that this has been a wild year, and I'm glad you and I are still here, especially with what we've seen in the sports industry uh, and a lot of the disruptions that have occurred there. I'm glad we're still here, able to talk about it, get paid to talk about it. So, uh, you know, appreciate you being here and, and uh, you know, still along for the ride together. Yeah, likewise. Um, I feel like, you know, we've been able to do a lot in the digital space uh, in these last nine months or so. You know, we've, we've always been able to, you know, kind of come on and, and talk football, talk hoops, uh, you know, whatever the, the current event is at the time. But I feel like we were kind of able to to go outside the box a little bit and we were able to, you know, touch on some social justice issues and we were able to, you know, have, a, you know, a very serious, you know, hour long talk with some coworkers of ours on this platform. And so, you know, definitely appreciative that you allowed that to happen and appreciative that we're still here to talk about it. Yeah, if anyone wants to go back and watch that, it was back in June, um, right after uh, the George Floyd killing. And Harold jumped on with Coley Harvey and Joshua Perry on the podcast and took over for a week. And it was a really, really great discussion. So I encourage everyone to check that out either on YouTube or our podcast platforms. And that was obviously a major shift in every American's day-to-day life. And, and so was the pandemic. And if you would have told us you know, a year ago that we'd be – sitting here after a three, four month pause in sports and a, you know, real reflection as a country kind of on, on some of our deeper issues. And then now we're back here with sports again, going on with no fans. Like, I, I don't think I would be able to process that, you know, in January of 2020. Yeah. I mean, it's still weird. You know, I remember us, you know, back in February getting ready for the big 10 tournament talking about Indy and our favorite spots. We like to go eat and why the tournament being back in Indy is so great. And, all of those things. And then I remember getting an email basically saying, you know, like none of us can go and people were, you know, kind of upset or a little disappointed. And, you know, it's gone from that to, you know, we had one day of the Big Ten tournament. Um, everything got shut down on March 12th. I still haven't been in the office since that day. And so, you know, to your point, it's, it's very, very strange that, you know, we had a football season start, you know, the week before Halloween. Uh, somehow we're able to get, you know, through 80% of it, I'd say, uh, to see a Big Ten champ play only six games, uh, to see, you know, some teams, you know, miss four or five different games. And now we're in basketball season and I'm seeing an empty Breslin Center. I'm seeing an empty Cole Center. It's a it's a very, very weird time. But, you know, 2020 has, has been weird all year. So, you know, we're just kind of going along with it. Yeah, and the sacrifices and a lot of the loss obviously have sucked, right? Like, yeah. it's been a terrible year for a lot of people, and everybody in some ways has sacrificed something. You know, if you want to look on and try and take some good out of, out of what has happened, I do think that there have been some necessary looks in the mirror for a lot of parts of society, including sports um, and athletes in general, and the college space is really touched by that, I think, more than most, just because of a lot of the issues that continue to come up uh, between athletes and name, image, and likeness. And, and it really struck me when I think Jared DiNardo said it on the Chicago Sports Radio Airwaves over the summer when a lot of those issues were swirling. And, you know, he, he said this is – he's really encouraged, essentially. I don't have the exact quote, but he was really encouraged because people were finally listening to athletes, right, and that he's been all over the country and the world and recruiting athletes, been in all kinds of different living rooms. 
And he said, for the first time, really, people are actually listening to what the athletes have to say. So I think if any good has come out of this year, it's been kind of the mere turnaround on, on you know, everybody in the sports world, you and I included, who, you know, work in college sports and, and talk about these athletes and, and can really, you know, listen to what they have to say in, in an empowering sense, right? And, like, you know, people might, listening might be like, oh, you know, these guys are on their soapboxes right now. Like, I, I don't think so. I, I don't want to, you know, dive too deep back into all the, all the discussions that came up in the fall, late spring, summer, but it's been really, I think, while sports were on pause, it was really a necessary time just to kind of remember that a lot of these athletes, you know, all these athletes are human beings, and, and I'm glad they had the opportunity to speak. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, I think Jerry is absolutely right, where it was the one time where there was nothing else to do but listen. Like, there was no other distractions. You know, athletes kind of found their voice, and they realized the power that they had. And, you know, whether that was affecting change via, you know, having slogans uh, on their helmets or some of the, the shirts they decided to wear or whether it was participating in some of the protests, I uh, feel like athletes were able to do a lot of powerful things, you know, over the last few months. And hopefully that will continue going forward. You know, if you, you take still images, you know, of this year and show it to someone five or 10 years down the road and you're seeing people playing in empty stadiums wearing you know these pins or having these shirts and you're like man well I wonder you know what that was about and you'd have to basically sit them down and say how much time do you have <laughs> because it's a lot to explain and you know 2020 I think just looking back is going to be a year where if you survived it you can tell those who are coming uh, behind you like just how crazy of a year it was. Right, and so much has happened, but in a sense, I also look back and it really kind of flew by in a weird kind of distorted uh, timeline type of way. It, it's interesting. I, I was, I've was i been reading some articles about how humans kind of perceive the passing of time, and, and while you know the days might pass pretty slowly, especially early in quarantine when things were all kind of looking like Groundhog Day, when nothing really significant happens for a long period of time, the way you reflect on it in kind of like your larger memory bank, it basically seems like a blink of the eye has passed. And that's what I feel like when I look back to a year ago and Ohio State and Clemson playing in the Fiesta Bowl, and now they're getting ready to play again. And it feels like I was just there at that Fiesta Bowl in uh, Arizona, right? It was over a year ago now. I think it was uh, this past week that the anniversary passed. And like, it feels like, those teams were just on the field and a lot of the same players are back and I want to get to that game and we have plenty to talk about with that game, but it's crazy how, you know, when you look back to games last year, you're like, was that really a year ago? And, and I don't know if you feel the same way about this particular game or any others, but in that, in that sense, even though so much has happened, uh, sports kind of hit a pause and, and I, you know, it feels like we almost never left 2020 in a certain corner of my mind. No, I, I think that's completely fair. And it's weird because March seemed like it was three months long. And then once we got through March, everything seemed to fly by in the blink of an eye. And you look up and it's, you know, we're three days or two days away from the new year. And it's just really, really strange um, when you see that. And, you know, to your point now, we're coming up on the Fiesta, uh, we're coming up on the rematch of the Fiesta Bowl. This time is being New Orleans instead of Phoenix. 
And uh, the fact that we've seen a lot of Ohio State Clemson these last few years in uh, various locales, you know, we, we've seen Miami, we've seen it twice in Phoenix, and now we're going to see it in New Orleans. Um, and I'm sure Buckeye fans are hoping to be on the right side of this uh, for once, you know, that they're 0-4 against them. They're the, they're the one team that they haven't been able to, to get over the hump against, um, you know, especially playing that many times to be 0-4, you know, that hasn't happened against any other opponent. And so uh, it seems like Davos kind of had their number and we'll see if Ohio State can turn the table on that. Yeah, so let's get into that game a little bit, the matchup. Um, fill me in. What is different about teams between late 2019 now, late 2020? A lot of the main faces, the stars are kind of the same. Trevor Lawrence going against Justin Fields. Uh, ETN is still there, I know, uh, in the backfield at, at Clemson. Um, J.K. Dobbins obviously is gone, and I still kind of wonder what would have happened if he wouldn't have got caught in that long run. Wasn't that in the first mm-hmm. half of last year's game? And Ohio State, I believe, only had three in that possession, right? Yep. Yep, and that and you know that kind of was, was the start of the turn of momentum because Ohio State was dominating that game, even though it ended up being a really close thriller. Um, so, what are some of the characters coming back? What is different? What's the same between Clemson and uh, Ohio State? We know the coaches are the same because Dabo got the best of Ryan Day in uh, the first matchup last year. You know, I think it's interesting that we have this matchup because I fully believe Ohio State was better than them last year. And if they would have played 10 times, Ohio State probably went seven. Um, That just happened to be one of the three that they lost. Um, They were up 16-0. They were dominating, and it should have been larger than that. Um, We mentioned the Dobbins play. He also dropped a touchdown pass. Um, And, you know, they had a 16-0 lead. Sean Wade gets ejected, and the entire game changes from there uh, late in the first half. And even with all of that, they, you know, they had a fumble return for a touchdown that was taken away. And, you know, Olave and Justin Fields wind up having a miscommunication and Fields throws a pick in the end zone in the game. Um, We'll see if Olave plays in this game. Uh, He missed the Big Ten championship game with what we believe uh, was COVID-19. You know, the the rules were changed. So now there's not a 21-day window is it, that's been shortened to 17 days so we'll see um if Olave will be able to play um you know post covid um so we know offensively a lot of the same weapons are back but there is no JK Dobbins for Ohio State Trey Sermon in the last couple of games looks like he's been able to to fill that Dobbins role uh you know running for 331 against Northwestern uh if you can break know if you could break Eddie George's single game record you've obviously done something really well um and it's the most we've seen in a championship game by any running back ever uh so we'll see if, if Trey Sermon can fill that role for Clemson uh you know like like you said Trevor Lawrence is still there uh Travis Etienne uh Amari Rogers has kind of been their main receiver now that there's no uh T Higgins uh Justin Ross is you know, been battling injuries. And so I'd say Clemson's defense uh, is still the stronger if you compare them with Ohio State. I think the biggest difference is all those studs you saw walking around for the Buckeyes last year, a lot of them are gone. You know, there's no Chase Young, as we know. There's no Jeff Okuda. There's no Malik Harrison. And at Ohio State defense, for the most part, 
hasn't been so good this year, but they've been better the last two games. So hopefully, uh, for their sake, they're able to take that into this Clemson game. Yeah, you mentioned Trey Sermon's breakout game in the champ game. Um, let's look at both conference championship game performances, Ohio State and Clemson. Um, Clemson looked really good against Notre Dame in that rematch. Ohio State struggled with Northwestern. Sermon kind of bailed them out a little bit. Um, were both those performances any cause of concern for Ohio State? Like, Clemson looks like they're playing really well. Ohio State didn't turn it on until the end of the game. Kind of like we saw in 2018. Um, that game got pretty close uh, against Northwestern, and then Ohio State kind of pulled away at the end. But are you uh, concerned at all just because of the way both teams are trending? Uh, I would be. Uh, Justin Fields, for whatever reason, doesn't seem like the same guy. Um, we've seen him play against two really good teams, two really good defenses, and he struggled in both of those games. Um, you know, he completed 44% of his passes against Northwestern through two picks. Uh, if it wasn't for Trey Sermon, they'd probably lose that game. And he was battling a thumb injury. We don't know um, how serious that is for, or if it'll affect him uh, in his Clemson game. But that's certainly been an issue. We saw him throw three picks against Indiana. So Clemson's defense is athletic. It's fast. It'll put pressure on fields and, and companies. So they're going to need to run the ball uh, a lot better or, or continue to run a ball as they have the last two games uh, in order to beat Clemson. And Clemson with Trevor Lawrence is a completely different team. That's not the team that barely beat Boston College and struggled against Notre Dame and lost. Uh, they're nine and know with him in a lineup. Uh, they're scoring 47 points a game in those nine games. They've been winning by an average of 34 points per game with Trevor Lawrence on the field. Um, and so this is this is trending toward Alabama Clemson three unless Ohio State plays their best game of the year. And even if they do, I don't know if it's enough. Yeah, you can see why Jacksonville Jaguars fans were rooting alongside Bears fans on Sunday for the Bears to win so Jacksonville can lock up. That number one pick and Trevor Lawrence, uh, mm -hmm. dude is a monster. Um, you mentioned Alabama, Clemson, part three. Another thing this college football season has brought. I guess at this point. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, yeah, I think another discussion that this year and the season has brought and is kind of exposed is just like the inequity in college football where it's very, very top heavy. It's a sport that kind of always has been, but um, – you know, now that there is like a true invitational or a playoff or whatever you want to call it, and teams aren't getting the consideration that a lot of the country believes they should be, um, you know, I feel like a lot of either media or other fan bases that hadn't been exposed to this are finally coming around to the idea that it's just not that fun for a vast majority of college football fan bases, um, teams, obviously, programs when you have a small select group that's invited and the rest, you know, you guys can go play over here and, uh, you know, let the adults sit at the adult table. So, I mean, I've been saying this for ever since the four team playoff came out, like since I started working here, like I don't like the four teams, uh, format. It's, it's, I think it's too exclusionary. Um, we have five conferences. So one major conference is going to get left out of the party at least every year. And plus you see teams every year pop up and, and make a run at an undefeated bid. And then it, it 
usually, uh, or I don't think it's ever worked out. No, obviously no group of five teams ever made it and it's never really gotten close. So what are your thoughts H on just the discussion kind of really ramping up? Like, do you think the pressure is going to be so great that this playoffs going to need to expand? I hope that's the case. I would want to see six or eight teams. Uh, where do you think this is all headed? Um, it seems like expansion is inevitable. It's just a matter of when, um, I still prefer six teams over eight. I don't like automatic qualifiers. Um, like, for instance, does Oregon really deserve to go as a Pac-12 champ this year when they didn't even win their division? And the only reason they got to go is because Washington uh, couldn't participate in the game due to a virus. Yeah, like, I agree. Like, the, automa- the, the whole idea of, like, conferences needing to be represented, I, I don't agree with. And people will harp on that conference championship as kind of your ticket in, but – like you said, I know this is a weird year, but maybe the team just isn't isn't uh you know qualified out of out of a certain power five conference in a given year. And I feel like on top of that, you know, six teams still feels very uh very inclusive, but it still feels like you have to earn your way in. You know, we've seen teams that finish seventh and eighth that have three losses. And if you lose three games, you probably aren't good enough to win the national title. So I feel like six is still the way to go. You still incentivize and make the regular season important. Top two seeds can get a bye. So there's still that carrot to play for there. Um, And usually there should be a team that's good enough, like Cincinnati was this year, to finish sixth. The problem is when it was the BCS, we didn't like for computers to make the decisions. Well, you know. We don't know what the, the weather was like, and, and we don't know, you know if this person was hurt or all this and that. And so we've gone completely the other way where we don't really value any of the metrics. It's what I saw, what does the game tape say? You know, a former coach might, you know, be able to sway everybody else in the committee. Um, you know, the 13 or 14 members, it might be two or three that are the most vocal and sway everybody else. There needs to be some kind of happy medium there, I think, because it doesn't make sense to have a three-loss Florida, a three-loss Iowa State, all ahead of a one-loss Indiana, an undefeated Cincinnati. And the reasoning every week seems to just kind of change because they aren't brands and some of these other teams are. And, you know, as you mentioned earlier, it's an invitational. It, it's not a true tournament. It's not a true playoff. It's an, absolutely an invitational, and that needs to change. I think another thing that needs to change is just how college football is such a narrative-driven sport. A lot of the narratives and prophecies are self-fulfilling. For yep. example, you mentioned your three-loss Florida team. Well, you know, just because they're in the SEC and they had these – close losses to, you know, an Alabama or, a you know, Georgia's another team that always seems to resurface. And then Oklahoma in the Big 12, it's like, well, you know, they're still Oklahoma and they're still Georgia and they're still Florida. So they deserve the benefit of the doubt just because of these narratives have existed. You know, like you said, without looking at the metrics, without looking at some of the analytics and, and trying to blend the old BCS system with the subjective nature of the sport. I just, that's what, that's the biggest part that I can't stand about it. Um, I also think there's a narrative attached to the advocates for a four-team playoff that the regular season needs to matter. Like that's that's always the argument that goes back to it's like the regular season needs to matter. 
these games in, in November like need to matter. These conference championships need to matter. And it's like, well, right now they don't matter. Like they don't matter. They're more relevant than, <laughs> than they've ever really been. Um, just because of these teams have these narratives attached to them and, and no matter what you do on the field, it doesn't matter. So like in no other sport do we do this in no other sport do we put place such a heavy value in the regular season. I get like why some people want to preserve that. I just don't think that's the result right now of, of our current system. Um, but seriously, in no other, you know, major sport do we have play an entire season and then only a small select few get to compete for a, a title. Like in soccer, I know they'll they'll play uh, an entire season and let those results just determine the champion. Um, that's a, that's a, obviously a foreign example, but in all the major American sports, there's some sort of tournament that includes, you know, a, a representative field. So I, I just think we're headed to expansion, and I, I hope that's the case because I think it's more fun when more teams get a chance. And the last thing I'll say is I also don't understand when people say, well, do we really want to see Alabama – play the number eight seed and and destroy them and it's like well usually they're destroying the number four team anyway and we'll never really know if if these teams can hold their own if they don't you know get a chance so i, I just don't buy it like i don't buy all the excuses that it needs to stay for yeah you you've led me into my last point too is that you know people keep talking about potentially watering down the field i'm like have you seen how many of these semifinal games have been blowouts I mean, exactly. did we look at LSU Oklahoma last year and see Joe Burrow basically put up, you know, 50 some points in the first half of a semifinal. I mean, Alabama's a 20 point favorite over Notre Dame in the semifinal. They're the largest favorite of any bowl team uh, this year. And so if we aren't already having uh, competitive semifinals, what's the what's the harm if it winds up being three versus six and four versus five, you know, as opposed to seeing blowouts and one verse four and two verse three. I mean, even the first year of the playoff, I mean, Oregon ran Florida State out of the Rose Bowl by 39. I mean, we've seen Ohio State and Michigan State both, you know, get take it on the chin pretty hard in the semis. Like, we haven't had many thrillers in this playoff in general uh, before the title game. So I don't want to hear about this watered down field. You like the system the way it is with these blowouts now, like, keep that same energy. All right, I have one more theory for you I want to run by. I, I didn't know if I was going to bring this up, but I figured why not? It's the end of the year. Let's get it all out there. Maybe it's just who I follow, and maybe it's just, like, the space I consume in college football. But my theory, and I don't think this is, like, a conscious thing that's happening. I just think it's how the sport has kind of developed, especially in the social media era of reporting and writing and all that. So, uh, college football media is not very diverse it's pretty homogenous right it's a lot of people who kind of tweet the same way write the same way think the same way um or at least that's what it seems like i do think it it's easier for this relatively small group of people on a national level to cover the same few teams over and over again i think that's a big reason why these narratives continue a lot of it's true like a lot of these programs do maintain this level of excellence and you know i'm not saying that like there's fake news being thrown around but i just think Every year, I feel like I'm I'm reading and 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 listening and consuming a lot of the same media narratives about these teams and like, well, you have to put Georgia in there and the, you know in consideration. You have to put Florida, even you know Ohio State too. Like, not saying Ohio State doesn't deserve it, but 
they're kind of our representative for the team that you have to consider. So I just want to get your thoughts on that about kind of how college football media fuels this machine. Oh, I think they're a huge part of it. Um, and, you know, more often than not, I think that ESPN selection show that they do after the rankings, you know, there's a lot of, you know, people kind of making their pitch there. You know, they'll have coaches on to kind of have them be on their soapbox and committee members are human. They're going to listen to that stuff. You know, if they want to say they're going to be fully objective, I don't buy that at all. Uh, And I feel like college football in general is the one sport where everyone's like, well, it's better if the brands are good. Like, it's better if Texas is good. It's better if Notre Dame is good. It's like, if other teams are good and fill the void, like, what's the problem? Like, no one was saying, oh, the sport is better if Clemson is good. Like, no one cared about Clemson before Dabo got there. You know, they were known for Clemsoning, which was finding ways to blow games, and then they became a power. So there's room for other teams to potentially be powers if you let them find a way in to begin with. Agreed. Yeah, and I, again, I don't think it's like necessarily a conscious thing all the time. It's so hard to cover like 130 teams with 100 right. rosters. Like, I just think it's a natural kind of thing to to elevate the same teams in the national landscape over and over again. But I, it's not good for the sport. I agree. Like, people get left out. So, all right, I'm gonna move on. I, you know, as a, you're honestly, your Spartans are kind of the team that's kind of broken through that mold. Like you mentioned, Clemson, Michigan State was not a national power, you know, until the 2010s. So for them to break through, it's really an accomplishment. I think a model for other big 10 schools to look up to, to kind of break that, you know, that mold and get some more representation in, in the, the playoff. And so many things had to go right just for them to make the playoff in general. I mean, the fact that, you know, they had to beat Ohio state on the road. They had to beat Michigan on the road. They had to beat Oregon in the top 10 matchup preseason. They beat an undefeated Iowa team um, in the, the Big Ten championship game. I mean, they had a stacked resume and still were only number three. You know what I mean? So, like, if that resume belonged to Ohio State, you know, they might have gotten the benefit of the doubt because even the game that they lost was a controversial loss. But people were like, oh, well, you know, it's Michigan State, whatever. I think Ohio State has that same resume. We're finding – we're trying to figure out, all right, how can we get Ohio State in? How can we get Ohio State in? So, all right, I'm I'm moving on. I'm moving right. on to uh, some other Big Ten stories. We want to give some other Big Ten teams love too. Obviously, uh, best of luck to Ohio State New Year's Day. You know how I feel about Clemson. So, Buckeyes, let's get it done. Um, all right, other stories from the year. Indiana, I think, is at the top. Breakthrough season, snubbed of a New Year's Six Bowl. So there we go again with the brands and kind of the, the national perception, yeah. traditional powerhouses. Uh, how are we feeling about Indiana's future? Um, you know, their their bowl designation and just an overall really capstone season on kind of this program build that Tom Allen's done there. Yeah, I think it was really disappointing that they didn't get that spot that Iowa State got. I think they absolutely should have been in the Fiesta Bowl uh, playing Oregon. I think that would have been a nice uh, way to – kind of celebrate that season as opposed to playing an under 500 SEC team uh, the day after New Year's Day. 
Um, they, you know, again, they were the highest uh, CFP team to not play in a New Year's Six. Um, they were seventh in the AP. If we were to use the AP, they would easily have gone. Uh, but unfortunately, they were 11th behind the three-loss Florida and a three-loss Iowa State and two-loss Georgia. And, you know, it's it's really unfortunate that because some of the other teams in the Big Ten were down, that they, you know, basically didn't get credit for beating Penn State, for beating Wisconsin, for beating Michigan. You know, to have three ranked wins in a season for the first time since 1945 and to have – Know, six conference wins and to do it the way they did with defense and have their only loss be to a team in the playoff by seven points that Ohio State seems to get a lot of credit for. Um, but Indiana doesn't seem to get that same credit in that close loss. Uh, very disappointing, but they have a very good chance to get their first bowl win since 1991. Uh, it's the longest drought of any power conference team. So it would be nice if they could uh, break through and get that win. You know, they've been really close. Uh, their last three bowl losses have been by a combined six points. So it's kind of that another, you know, another first for them to try to get this year. Yeah, the Tennessee one last year. Uh, I remember that. And obviously you hope they can get off the schneid there and, and uh, pick up a bowl win for the Big Ten. But I their accomplishments this season still, I don't think can be watered down. You know, it's, it's been a great year. Um, I was, we talked about it, like until they got those big wins, I was kind of skeptical, but they did break through the national scene. Tom Allen really like established himself as, as a kind of national coach, right? Like he not only got it done on the field, but his expressiveness and his connection with his team resonated. That's, I think also what's really important. Like if your team loves you and, it doesn't depend. It doesn't matter how kind of wacky you might be on the sideline or or you know uh, eccentric. Tom Allen, I think, has some intense personality traits. But as long as you're like resonating with your team and and your players love you, you know that's what college football is all about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could tell they love that dude. I mean, you see it in some of the videos they post after the game, especially after they beat Penn State, where. You know, he got really emotional and they were saying, you know, love you, coach. And he's, you know, crowd surfing in the locker room. And, you know, after they beat Wisconsin, he's on the field and everybody's coming up like, hey, best coach in America. We love this guy. Come play for him. Like all that stuff is real. And you can see they're completely bought in. Right. You put that more eloquently than I did. I think what I'm trying to get across is like college football again. Like another one of the things that, that gets on my nerves a little bit is like when the coach is such – a big part of the story and like such a big part of the narrative and like all the reporters be like, Oh, you know, that, that coach is at it again with his wacky press conferences and, and Oh, classic such and such coach. That's not the story of Tom Allen. Like he, yes, he makes headlines, but it's because his team like loves him. That's what I look for. I love seeing, you know, that connection. And when the coach doesn't make it about them, it, it's and it only makes headlines because it's rising to the surface by nature of that, you know, job he's done on the field, but also connection with his players. So put a wrap on that. Um, speaking of coaches though, interested to get your take. Cause you are a Sparty guy on the first year head coaching jobs, uh, Rutgers and Michigan state. I think both look better than I expected in year one. Um, so real quick, what are your thoughts on some of these, uh, rebuilds across the big 10? Uh, I mean, huge shout out to Rutgers. I mean, the fact that they won three conference games after losing 21 in a row, uh, the fact that they've been able to, 
you know, get a lot of big plays offensively. I mean, this was a team that, you know, was averaging five or six points per game, you know, in conference play. And, you know, they were scoring over 30 repeatedly. So, you know, the fact that Shiano's got them going again already in year one, took big advantage of the transfer portal uh, to get competitive really fast. Good coordinator hire with Sean Gleason uh, to try to get the most out of, you know, Bo Milton and Isaiah Pacheco and guys like that. You know, that East just got a lot harder because now there's no, like, oh, well, we're playing Rutgers, we can get a win. Like, that's going already. Um, as for Mel Tucker, I think he might wind up going with the same route. Uh, we've already seen a lot of movement in the transfer portal going in and coming, uh, going out and coming in. Um, and so I wouldn't be shocked to see like a similar jump uh, from him. Not that he'll have a full year under his belt. You know, Shiano got to start in December and got to kind of see how his roster would look. And, and Mel Tucker had about a month before the pandemic hit. And so he was definitely, uh, you know, behind the eight ball there, but still wound up getting a, a win over the rival, beat a top 10 Northwestern team, a lot of chaos in between. Uh, but, you know, it was good for him to kind of see what his team looked like and figure out how he can uh, have it more look like how he wants his teams to look going forward. Yeah, it's about to become a very Northwestern heavy few minutes uh, once we start talking hoops. But I do want to not over. I don't want to overlook Northwestern football and all this discussion. You know, we talked about them giving the Buckeyes a, a good game in the champ game. Uh, hell of a job by Pat Fitzgerald. Um, you know, they were a really good story in the West. Could have made you know some real noise toward the very end of the year if if your Spartans hadn't ruined the party uh, with that win. But Still, really good season, really good bounce back season um, for for the Cats, and I think you know they've proven time again this is this is the norm. This is not you know an aberration. The aberration is that three and nine season that we saw in 2019. So, um, you know, shout out to the Cats. Also, I want to give a little bit of props to Iowa. Feel bad for them because their Music City Bowl was canceled against Mizzou. I know fault of their own. Sounds like Mizzou had some COVID issues. Um, Iowa, I think, is one of the only teams to get every game in. And they uh, had a really nice year. And I, I think, you know, there's something to be said for for teams that, by no fault of their own, miss out. Saw Spencer Petras tweet, like, hey, we've given up our Christmas break, essentially. We've been practicing, still working, and this was taken away from us. So I feel bad on that on that uh, side of things for the Hawkeyes. Um but, you know, a couple of Big Ten West teams that I think had really nice years, uh, especially the shout-out to Northwestern for more than riding the ship. You know, they're, they're, they're back in almost, you know, I wouldn't say the driver's seat in the West, but two of the last three years, you can't argue with that going to the title game. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, the fact that, you know, I, I thought they'd have a much better year. A lot of those guys from that 3-9 and nine team were back. That defense was really good. It's just that they were on the field for so long and put in bad spots because the quarterback play was so poor. And, you know, the fact that Peyton Ramsey came in and stabilized that position uh, certainly allowed for uh, the Cats to kind of be able to win games with defense and, you know, do it like they normally do it under Fitz. Win a bunch of rock fights, win a bunch of close 20 to 17, 24 to 20, 14 to 10 kind of games. Um, and they just couldn't do that without a good quarterback. And so, I mean, if they get, you know, above average play from Peyton Ramsey, they're probably Big Ten champs right now. 
Um, the fact that they were able to hold a, a very potent Ohio State team to 22 points shows you how well coached they are. Uh, they got some dudes on that defense, especially in that back seven. So, you know, kudos to Northwestern. Um, I was high on them ever since they, they beat Iowa. I uh, felt good about that. And again, you know, like you said, shout out to Iowa, you know, after everything they went through in the offseason and then to start 0-2 and to, to rebound and to win six straight games and pretty do it in dominating fashion too. You, you, you blow out Wisconsin, you blow out Minnesota, you get by Nebraska, you win all your trophy games. You know, it's still a resounding success there too. All right, before we go, or at least move on to hoops, H, got to address the new coach in the room. Illinois hired Brett Bielema. Um, I was not at BTN during Bielema's first go-around. Obviously, remember him as the Wisconsin coach and uh, his Big Ten titles there and uh, Rose Bowl appearances, indie appearances. So he brings a resume, also left kind of unceremoniously. And so that kind of drew the ire, I think, when he – now re-enters the picture. A lot of Wisconsin fans are like, oh, you know, good luck with Brett Bielema. I think Illinois fans are mostly optimistic, though. Um, I don't know if he was like, you know, a, a. I don't think anyone jumped for joy when they heard the news as Illinois fans. It was more of like once they learned more about Bielema and kind of his attempt at a second act here, a lot of Illinois fans from the perspective that I've, uh, you know, kind of felt out here are really warm on the idea and I think they're coming around to to really getting behind uh, Bielema as, as the new coach just because he did seem kind of reflective and and um, humbled in his press conferences and all his interviews. Seems like he is kind of clear-eyed and, and knows what he has to do. We already know that he knows how to win in the Big Ten. And uh, I think Illinois fans, you know, after going through kind of the letdown of being really excited for the Lovey Smith hire, and just being slowly, I think, kind of let down year after year with the exception of that peak in year four, um, are are not really going to get their hopes all the way up, but I think they are pretty pleased overall with, with the Bielema hire. I want to get your thoughts as kind of a Big Ten insider, but a Michigan State outsider. What do you, what do you think about this uh, new competition in the Big Ten? Um, I think you took the words out of my mouth when I was talk when I was looking at his press conference. Humble was the first word that came to my mind, and he kind of alluded to it. You know, he, his first year as a head coach, he wins twelve games, and he he thinks he's Vince Lombardi and Bill Belichick and and Nick Saban and all these guys rolled into one. And you know, at that point, you know, he winds up winning three Big Ten titles in a row. Um, you know, goes to three Rose Bowls, and you know, he's like, well. I'm not getting compensated like I should be. I'm just going to take my talents elsewhere, try to, you know, do the same thing at Arkansas. Didn't quite work out. Um, and so, you know, I think he has some time to reflect on, you know, hey, it's a little harder than I thought it was. You know, I didn't necessarily have all of the advantages uh, once I got down to SEC country. And, you know, I think it helps that he will come back to an area where he's very familiar um, you know, he's he played at Iowa. He coached at Wisconsin. He's from Illinois. He's you know, this is kind of more in his wheelhouse, I think. And now he can approach it as, you know, a 50 year old person as opposed to someone in his 30s who thought he knew everything. Now he kind of knows what how the terrain is, how hard it'll be uh, to get it back going. 
And, you know, luckily for him, I think that's a division that we've seen teams, you know, rise in a short time. I mean, we saw P.J. Fleck do it with Minnesota. We've seen Pat Fitzgerald do it with Northwestern. Um, so, you know, that's a division I think that's, you know, that's ripe any given year. Some team can jump up and, and you know, be a contender. Yeah, I think he has a luxury of time. Like, I don't think Illinois fans are necessarily impatient right now. But like you said, he also has some built-in advantages. They, they do have one of the best facilities now in the Big Ten. And uh, they do have somewhat of a solid foundation. Guys are opting back into next season. Um, I've seen some of the uh, linemen and, and other guys on the roster. So it's not like the cupboard is totally bare that he's walking into. So you're right. Maybe, maybe a, uh, a relatively fast rise back to the middle of the pack or top tier of uh, that Big Ten West is possible. We'll see. Um, but H, I do want to get to some hoops before we wrap up and, um, you know, cannot, cannot just glaze over the exciting Big Ten basketball we've seen so far. First of all, before we even get into the rankings and anything like that, 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 uh, came out Monday and a lot of the stuff we saw in the previous holiday week, um, it's impressive. There haven't been any cancellations with, with hoops. This is a, uh, really nice trend to see. None of the Big Ten games, I believe, have been canceled by any fault of, of a Big Ten team having positive cases or contact tracing. So that's been really encouraging. I hope they can get through the holiday break, uh, seeing families and all that unscathed. But uh, I, I'm really encouraged so far. I know there was a lot. There's been a lot of issues in college basketball elsewhere, and um, a lot of skepticism of getting the season, you know, rolled out smoothly. But so far, so good. I'd say. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, you know, we've had some games canceled, but it hasn't been, you know, through our fault. You know, the fact that Wisconsin-Louisville got postponed, but they eventually wound up getting that play. Michigan State-Virginia got postponed, eventually got that play. But, you know, those were issues from those schools, not our schools. And so, uh, you know, the fact that we're able to get these games in and we're doing it, you know, no fans in the, in the stadiums, you know, seems like everyone's doing exactly what they need to do to make sure these games get played. And again, it's a lot of sacrifice on their end. You know, the fact that, you know, for Thanksgiving, there's just a big Zoom call to try to say, you know, hey, happy Thanksgiving or, or Merry Christmas. You know, the fact that we had four Big Ten games on Christmas, you know, guys are making a lot of sacrifices to try to get this season in. All right, so Harold, let's get into it. Uh, let's talk some basketball before jumping off. And this just in, hot off the presses. Got new top 25 rankings, and it is a historic ranking for the Big Ten. Um, I'll just let you run through kind of all the noteworthy um, inclusions in, in this latest top 25. Not only is Northwestern in, uh, we kind of expected that. Minnesota is in, and they both easily cleared that bar. Uh, Northwestern's at 19, Minnesota at 21. Um, so let the people know kind of just how significant this latest top 25 ranking is just by uh, sheer depth of the Big Ten being included. Yeah, so the fact that there are nine, nine of the 14 teams are in the top 25, so it just goes to show you uh, the crazy depth that this league has. Um, the fact they never had more than seven in any particular week, and now they have nine this week. Uh, so that is obviously a record. Um, as for Northwestern, uh, they are at 19. Um, that is tied for the highest ranking they've had in a single week since 1969. Um, it's only the fifth time they've been ranked uh, in the last 50 years. And so 
shout out to Northwestern for for doing some things and you know starting three and zero in Big Ten play, which is obviously something very rare as well. And just to kind of show you how things have gone, a um, little over a week ago, you had a fourth ranked Michigan State team playing an unranked Northwestern team. And now those teams are pretty much right next to each other. Um, it's going to be a brutal, brutal season for this entire league, for sure. Northwestern will be tested, and that ranking will be tested immediately. They got Iowa Tuesday night, I believe. Iowa coming off a almost inconceivable loss, considering how that game was winding yeah. down. Um, it was a, a crazy Christmas Eve evening, Christmas Day, the night of Christmas Day uh, game that that – I think had an even bigger spotlight on it just because it was, you know, the only college basketball game I think going at the time. So the whole country was watching and Minnesota, I mean, huge props to them for not laying down. Um, they got up big. Iowa kind of swung back like they do had one, had a few of their scoring bursts. They were up seven, I believe in the final minute and Minnesota completely took advantage of some missed free throws some miscues on Iowa's end, hit every big shot. Marcus Carr is a dog, we know that, but Brandon Johnson uh, was really the story, hitting every three I think he, he threw up. It was crazy, uh, especially in overtime, to to kind of bury Iowa once and for all. So, you know, Minnesota jumping in the rankings, like we mentioned. Um, Iowa, I think, will be fine. They, they, you know, this was kind of their worst-case scenario. This is how they can get beat is, is when teams go on runs and, and take advantage of some open looks. Uh you mentioned Michigan State falling to Northwestern. That's another storyline to follow. They have some early struggles starting 0 2. Michigan uh, on the other side of Mitten State is quietly kind of undefeated uh, overall. And there's just a lot going on. Um, so tell me what, what sticks out beyond Northwestern uh, in Big Ten play to you. Um, you know, Wisconsin's kind of quietly moved up as the team to beat. Um, I think a lot of people talked about Iowa and obviously for good reason. They got Luca and they got all these guys and they score a bunch of points. I just didn't know if they could defend well enough to win a league. And it looks like right now that's still an issue. Um, I under I underestimated Wisconsin's uh, age <laughs> or lack of youth, I should say. And I think in a year like this, when there is no fans and, you know, guys can just go out and ball. And I mean, they got literally grown men playing against some boys and, you know, Dimitri Trice did whatever he wanted to on Christmas day. You know, he's 24 years old. And I feel like Wisconsin's got a bunch of those dudes, you know, you got five or six guys, you know, outside of Jonathan Davis where, you know, they've been together for years and years and years. And, you know, they're almost like a, a TBT tournament team where, like, you know, it's Marquette alumni, it's Michigan State alumni, it's Ohio State alumni, except they're actually still on the team. And they just go out and they ball, and you see a lot of those teams do well because they know the system and they know their sets and, you know, they find ways to get open looks. And that's just what they're doing, you know, in college basketball. And I think I underestimated that to a certain extent. They don't have to worry about, you know, having letdowns because they've been through all of that stuff before. And, you know, the shooting from last year, I didn't know if it was sustainable. You know, the fact that they, you know, shot close to 40% during that that stretch uh, where they won, you know, eight straight Big Ten games. That That's <laughs> holding up so far this year, too. So uh, shout out to the Badgers. Uh, big time win in East Lansing on Christmas. Yeah, and, and you know, Wisconsin – like you said, just <laughs> kind of embodies that TBT mindset. It's crazy that uh, 
that Trice is 24. Um, that, you know, hearing that on the broadcast, I realized he's not that much younger than me because he is a old 24. He's turned 24 in May, I believe is what they said on air. Um, so a bunch of vets, bunch of old heads on that team. Shout out to them. Um, they are, you know, they look to be real contenders again this year. Uh, moving on real quick, you know, there, there's just a lot of front-end depth, I think, in the Big Ten. Um, Rutgers, Illinois, uh, both, you know, look to be pretty solid. They played a close game. What What are your thoughts as far as the amount of teams that can maybe contend as, you know, this gets ramped up going into January? Who's going to, maybe a month from now, still be in that top four or five? I still think Wisconsin, Illinois, and Iowa uh, have the most staying power, which is what I think most people thought when the season started. Those three were all in the top 10, so I don't see that changing. Um, I think Rutgers has a chance uh, to get in there. I was a little surprised by how they lost against Ohio State. Um, you know, they, they were scoring a bunch of points all year. Um, we saw it in the win over Illinois, and then – you know, they had a, you know, a 16 point lead, I believe it was in Columbus and saw it all, you know, go away after Miles Johnson filed out. So I know that they've got some depth issues, but you know, those first six or seven guys are really good. So I think that will allow them to kind of stay in the race. Uh, I'd say those are probably the the best four uh, right now. Uh, Michigan, I think, has a chance to get in there. I mean, Hunter Dickinson's a, he's a stud. And so if they continue to work through him, um, maybe they'll have a chance to kind of hit that first tier. I'd say right now, I mean, my, my guys don't guard anybody, so I can't really put them in a contending contending role right now. Um, you know, it's one thing if you're Iowa and you have the best offense in the country, you can maybe afford to still be a contender without defending. But um, if you are a top 15 to 20 offense and you aren't guarding, then you're not a title contender at this point. So I feel like they're more of a tier two team. Um, I'd say Ohio State, Northwestern, Minnesota, all those teams kind of fall in that second tier. All right, well, this will be a little dated because MSU has Minnesota. Uh, now it's a top 25 matchup on Monday night, so that'll be fun. I love, you know, that about the Big Ten now that all these teams are ranked. Like every night you get some sort of intriguing matchup. Um, we're looking forward to it and the rest of the season. But uh, – H, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up on that note. We've gone long, I know. Talking, you know, sports, but obviously the beginning, just reflecting a little bit on everything that's gone on. Uh, so I appreciate you jumping on and and giving me some time on a holiday, you know, week. I, I consider this a holiday week. Nothing really gets done in the corporate world. We're kind of the the some of the only people still working during this week. Exactly. Not, you know, wouldn't have it any other way, obviously. Uh, but I appreciate you giving some time and uh, you know, obviously running the gamut here of topics on uh or as we get toward the end of end of the year end of 2020 thank god yeah i know right yeah we're we're at the finish line uh thanks for having me on as always you know always good to talk uh big 10 who's big 10 football so uh you know we got a few more days left in the year you know let's make them count let's get some some good games and uh hopefully we can start 2021 with a, a win over clemson yes sir and we will try and get you know assuming how state takes care of business we will preview the national championship if, if they are indeed facing alabama or uh unlikely opponent of notre dame but uh we'll get back with you soon appreciate it h and take care have a happy new year thanks man you too be good
All right. Thanks once again to Harold, Joshua, Kenny for joining the show. Three great dudes who I know I can always rely on to uh, jump on and, and talk anything and everything. So appreciate them to uh, close out the year. And appreciate everyone who has stuck with us through all these episodes. You know, the, the show has changed a lot in the last year. Um, this is, it's been over three years now since we launched this podcast. It, it's, you know, we, we coasted for a while kind of doing the phone thing, but Zoom really took this show to another level. We can get guests in kind of a consistent and quality format that we weren't able to do before Zoom was so universal. So um, <laughs> that's another good thing to come out of 2020. I really, really am glad that we can do that. We can get these videos on the internet. Um, on the internet, on YouTube, obviously on the internet, but uh, we can get these on YouTube and, and get our guests front and center. You know, if people choose, they can they can view these interviews on Big Ten Network's YouTube channel, and of course, we can be found on platforms where, where podcasts are normally consumed, like your Apple Podcasts, your Google Podcasts, uh, Podbean, Spotify, all those uh, all those giants in the podcast space. So. Uh, like I said, I appreciate everyone for sticking with us. Uh, if you've been here all along or if you're just popping in to tune into your, your school-specific guest that's on, that's fine too. That's kind of how we designed the podcast to be. Um, you know, I'm rambling a little bit, but just trying to reflect on on the niche that we've tried to, to fit into here. You know, we know we're not going to be a, a consistent show for everybody because we have to appeal to 14 audiences. So... We're going to try and diversify a little bit. And if you pop in once a month or once a year, that's great too. But, uh, you know, if, if you are someone who's stuck with us, um, also we're going to try and, and keep the show kind of sounding and feeling consistent for, for those of you who do. So appreciate you, whether that's your first time listening, your 10th time or your 150th time. I think we're up close to 160 episodes. So um, shout out to everyone who has tuned in. Also want to give a shout out to Julie Bronder for editing these shows. She's been the consistent editor for quite some time now and stitches them all together, gets them on all those platforms I just mentioned. Uh, Jordan Josellis has designed the entire look and feel of the podcast, um, the graphics that we post on social media, the videos on YouTube, the videos on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram when we cut the short snippets out from the, from the discussions. Um, he has been instrumental in shaping the, the podcast's uh, design and, and feel and, and voice. So appreciate that. And uh, Wes White as well for getting the podcast in, uh, in all those spaces, maintaining that RSS feed and helping launch from day one uh, the Take 10 podcast. So thank you to everyone. And we will see you in 2021 here on the Take 10 podcast.